The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Cool. So what do you guys want to talk about today? What 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 are we talking about today? We go with whatever John suggests. John, he suggests it's something your day, already. John, your day. It seems, seems pretty close to what we did yesterday, but it seems like it might work. Yeah, so I, I, I had two ideas, like the last one just popped up, but uh, I was thinking what I mentioned earlier was like, yeah, fatherhood and raising children, like, how am I doing, right? And am I controlling my kids too much? Or do I want to, to create a controlled environment? Is that bad? Like, do you know, and then the the the, the fear of technology in, in his development, but also the need for it. But I have a lot of questions. I don't know where I'm at. Like, I try to be the best I can. And I I think sometimes I worry too much about, um, you know, the, the the way he's being raised or the, the the things he'll be exposed to when he starts hanging out with other kids and going to school and like, mm. and I'm particularly worried about like time, you know, the consumption of time, right? And how are we using our time? And so that was, I wanted to have a discussion about that. So fatherhood and raising children would be a good one for me personally. I just remember back in the day when me and Steve would have, philosophical conversations back in the day and day one he'd win the argument of the conversation for the day and the next day we'd come around and i'd have a day to think about it and then i'd smash him i'd rip him apart and i'd have all the answers and <laughs> i he'd already be like, forgotten about alan because i already won so like it's, I won that it's, battle. A, it's like it's like i have to revisit that battle it, if I this won. isn't this isn't fair you've had on like to think about this I, I forgot all about that and so i always used to enjoy our conversations back in the day being able to sort of rehash on old topics Give me a day to think about something I can, yeah. For me, for me, it was weed when I was like 18. And then I started to smoke weed and think and think critically. And I never had done that before. I met some people at Quakers Hill um, in like Western Sydney, Australia. And then like I'd have, I'd be euphoria and then, you know, big ideas. And then once that, you know, that opened up, then after that, it was like, I looked for it everywhere and I didn't need the weed anymore. I just wanted the, the critical thinking. And I think I met you, Alan, after I was about, I think 19, I think 18 or 19. And I just kind of stopped smoking lots of weed. And I just kind of, uh, yeah, just once that door opens, it's not closing, if you know what I'm saying. Gates. Mm. Anecdote, anecdote for the day. The story that I told Steve about yesterday was um, we had... um. Uh, a pretty pretty few hot, few hot days here last week so we had the the, the pool out and the what was that splash and what do you call Super it slide Super slide thing going along and, and all the all the, all the neighbors kids come around to, to to play on the slip and slide this is the big story from yesterday and um me being an atheist having taught mickey to be an atheist too i come out and maureen turns to me and she says to me did you hear what he just said and i said what like i was obviously acting a bit more yesterday when i was telling the story it's like mickey told the the, the little girl next door that that there is no jesus or jesus isn't jesus isn't real and then i just hear that the little girl starts screaming he is real he is true and i'm like i had to sort of sort of you know grab mickey straight away and say mickey mickey he is real mickey don't tell anyone that jesus isn't true he is true i had to turn to the kids and say jesus is true mickey you're wrong you're wrong and i sort of had to explain the whole situation 
And that was kind of a big topic of um, the, the, the podcast from yesterday that I thought maybe we could start off with today. How would you handle that situation? <clears throat> well, I, I find that interesting, actually. And that's like one of the questions I actually have, you know, like, um, how far should we go with like, teaching our children what to believe, right? Like, so my wife's Buddhist and I'm Christian, uh, you know, I guess I'm Christian. I hate to say that I like that I am because I don't think Catholic? like I, I, yeah, Catholic, but they're all Christians, right? Christ no, followers. No, no, not at all. <laughs> well, I mean, when they're I all it. followers of Christ, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Okay. But, the, but that's my concern, right? Like, so there's a lot of traditions in Buddhism and a lot, a lot of ways of thinking that, I think it's a beautiful religion. I do. But I think that there's more structure and discipline within Catholicism um, uh, than there is. There's, you know, there's this just complacency that goes on mm. um, with with at least the Buddhists that I'm around. Right. And um, whereas I see that Catholics have very strong worth ec work ethic, discipline, mm. um, at least the ones that are practicing. Right. Um, so but like I. <sighs> I feel like that's not good for me to like, personally, I want to say, yeah, I want my son to come in this direction, more Western mm. kind of Western philosophy. It's not really Western. We know that came from the Middle mm. East, but, but mm. I'm just saying like, like, is that wrong? Like to tell our kids what to believe? I don't know if you guys know who Vishen Lakhiani is. Mm. He's a, uh, I hooked you up with a specific uh, website back in the day, Stephen, And he was like, He's the lead of this company, and I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. I can't believe I'm forgetting. Uh, Mind Valley. He's the head of Mind Valley, and Mind Valley is all about personal growth, spiritual growth. Uh, you know, visualization. You can you can materialize anything through your thoughts, through gratitude, through writing lists. But back to the point, um, uh, Al. You said you were uh, teaching your son to be a um, atheist, and like me. I'm not really teaching my son to be a Catholic, but, but it has crossed my mind. Like I, I, I would prefer him to be more in line with me than mm. with, with, uh, well, the other side of the family. Right. And I know that sounds very selfish, but it takes me to what I really wanted to say is that, is it, or what I wanted to ask, is it good to actually shape our children? Are we going too far by not letting them find their own path? Um, because, I'm on the path I'm on because of personal choice. Nobody told me to do it. Where I see mm. my mom and my dad both left Catholicism uh, when I was young because they it was pushed on them. They didn't like, you know, they couldn't agree with all these ideas um, and it was pushed on them. And so they departed from the faith. And I kind of, so I was never told what to think except for just to be kind to people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just kind of found my own way and it just, so, I don't know, I was drawn in. So is it too, are we going too far when we, when say, we try to shape our children to that extent of belief and faith? As soon as those kids went home that day, I brought Mickey inside and I said, Michael, you know, um, we, we don't, me and Maureen, we don't, me and mom don't believe in Jesus in the sense that, you know, he did exist. He was a good person. You know, he, he, he taught all the things that we sort of think of as living a good life, you know, look after people, be good to people, turn the other cheek or whatever, um, be charitable, all those kinds of things. We believe he was a good person, but we don't take it to the level where these people take it as they believe that there is a man up in, in heaven looking down upon us who listens to our prayers and answers our prayers. And, you know, it's almost like a, a, a Santa Claus for, for adults kind of thing. And it's, it's like, 
I, I said, I said to Mickey, you know, I don't care if you believe in Jesus, you can believe whatever you want. It's okay. Just personally, this is not what we believe. You can believe whatever you want, as long as you don't cause harm. And that's pretty much the, the extent to, to what I said to him. And I probably was a bit more, you know, understanding and loving and didactic with it all, but that was the, the main idea. So I said, you can believe whatever you want, but um, this is just not what I believe. So. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's awesome. That's the way I want to be like, here's what I believe. You're free to believe what you want. Um, uh, that's, that's what I think is better. Um, and I don't want to be that guy that like pushes a religion on a child because I've had a mm. lot of friends, a lot of friends become very upset with their own faith. I mean, my Jewish friends, you know, they've mm. left their faith because their parents were too gnarly. And same mm. with Catholic friends. I got a lot of Catholic friends that left the faith because they're just like, dude, it's ridiculous. They have to go every day and then they have to talk about Jesus all the time. Right. And like, this just pushes them away. And, uh, so I think sometimes it's better to not like push anything than to push, because if you push, you can push them too far. Well, what about the idea that kids in that age group haven't the capacity, the, the cognitive capacity to, to hold on to abstract ideas and perhaps they, they thrive on kind of factual concrete information. Um, so I feel like kids that are- what is? four years old, five years old, you know, they, they need things, they need information to uncertainty so they can survive. Right. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when my daughter grows up, I don't want to tell her what to believe in. Um, but I feel like at four years old, she might be a little bit too young to, to, to look at different religions and get a bit of an idea what religion would be suited to her needs. And, so I feel like it's, it's a real tough one because I feel like we can educate kids and tell them what religions are and how they work and give them concrete information, but asking them to choose and decide and synthesize, that might be a big ask. Um, I have a problem yeah. with both, both your stances because John, you're sort of saying Catholicism is Christianity where to me, Catholicism is one tiny branch, one massive branch of Christianity, but there are many branches of Christianity, which you can go down and Steve talking about the, the concrete. And um, as I said to Steve yesterday, there's a form of Christianity called Calvinism. And this is a problem that I have with Christianity is Calvinism kind of says that um, some people no, 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 kind of God has already decreed who's going to heaven. He knows who's going to heaven. It's called pre predestination. So he knows who's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do through life. You, you're going to go to heaven or you're not going to go to heaven. So it's kind of like, what, what, what form of the religion are you going to, are you going to teach? Are you going to teach the Calvinist side? Are you going to teach the, the Lutheran side? Are you going to teach the Buddhists? I don't know. There's, there's, what, how concrete is it really? So, because well, I, I found in Calvinism my way out of Christianity, because if you can't guarantee that I'm going to heaven, what I've, I, I, I can't believe in Christ. So, the con concretely to me means that there is no Christ. Well, when I say concrete, I think it's they have trouble. Children abstract. have trouble. I think before like 12, 13 years old, you know, thinking of, of the abstract and and thinking of maybe hypothetical situations and thinking about the possibility of what it would be like if I'm a I'm a Catholic now, but I want to be a, a Muslim. Um, and I, I, I'm, all of my argument, my main argument is, I don't know if a child can choose uh, and, and think about that, uh, you know, logically or, or 
um, with reason because I think their minds haven't developed enough yet. You know, if, if I was teaching my daughter, I think I would not teach her anything about religion until she was old enough to sort of be able to question and be able to say, okay, what is the differences between these religions? You know, I was saying that, yeah. it sounds, it sounds like it's easier to teach a child about God before they become a certain age because their minds are more open to it. Yeah. But the problem is if you're teaching a, like you just said, if you're teaching a child about God, which God do you say that's right? Or which one do you say it's wrong? Because I think the kid, a, a child's going to ask you and they want mm. they want some certainty to say, okay, well, there's all these different religions. Which one's the right one? Which one do we believe? Which one do we believe in daddy? Which one's, mm. you know, which one's the wrong one, you know, so that they, they want that certainty. Um, and the example that I gave Alan yesterday when we were talking, I said, uh, you know, my, my wife recently had my daughter baptized. And to be honest, I think that's wrong. And I think it's wrong because she never got a choice. I think that she, why, why is she immediately indoctrinated to be indoctrinated to be a Catholic? Maybe she doesn't want to be a Catholic. You know, maybe she wants to be a Muslim. Maybe she wants to be, you know, and she connects to the Jewish faith. Um, however, the other flip side of that, if she doesn't get baptized and she doesn't find a sense of connection or belonging with a particular Community. religion, that's the mainstream dominant religion in South America, maybe that could be dangerous for her because she might feel left out and she might feel isolated and she might feel excluded. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tricky conversation. I feel like it's, it's not fair for her, but you know, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like children should be, if my, my personal opinion is that children should be a little bit older and be able to process the options before they're told that something's right and something's wrong. That's my well, Stephen. Well, Stephen, uh, you know, baptism is just being, I mean, you take a shower every day, bro. You, you get, you go swimming in the pool, you play on the slip and slide, buddy. It's just water. And yeah, it's that, just, a, it's a tradition and it's a faith. Is real. And, and to, it won't shape who you are. It doesn't, it's not like a binding, uh, like you're stuck. That's not what it is. It's more for the family, right? It's the tradition to be baptized, but anybody can depart from their faith at any time. I told you both of my parents did like, they're not Catholic at all. Um, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, you know, so, so I wouldn't worry too much about that, Stephen. I think it's okay. I mean, you're not Catholic. Were you baptized? Yeah, I'm Catholic and I was baptized. But you, You're not Catholic. but but you don't like identify. I'm not, with I'm not practicing a Catholic, no, and I don't identify. And I think that's a good point. Is that it's not like you get baptized, and, and like you know, it's not like you get baptized and like, oh God, I'm a Catholic forever and I can't change. Um, I guess I feel like they they kind of pushed into that identity without really having an option. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of religions out there. There's you know, there's religion and spirituality and atheism and you know, you know, being I'm kind of quite agnostic. Um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of like, it's, 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 there's, there's an element of social conditioning there. And there's an element of, you know, you're, you've been baptized, therefore you are. And then if you're not, you sort of have to, you know, maybe rebel a little bit. And it's different in the family environment with your parents like us, where you might say, well, if you don't want to be a Catholic, it's your choice to do whatever you want. But in another environment where the parents are, no, you need to be a Catholic because it's part of our identity, family and history. It might be a little bit different, but I, I feel that it's not, I agree, it's not necessarily a pernicious, huge um, identity, uh, social conditioning, but I feel like it's still there at some level. And it just culture of the family. Yeah, it takes away it's the culture of the family and society. It does seem to take away the choice. Look, I don't know. Look, 
you know, if you want to teach your son, Alan, that, you know, the, the idea is more of atheism and I want to teach my kid nothing and let them figure it out. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Like, is it the right thing to not teach this, them anything? This conversation is really throwing me off because I feel like I'm not being subjective enough. I'm sort of saying I'm like the conversation originally come out of like, I would teach my son um, ancient, ancient Greek myths, ancient Roman myths um, than the Jesus myth, Jesus myth or whatever. And um, I'd say to me, they're all equal. They're, they're all myths. But as again, that is sort of taking sides and sort of saying I'm an atheist. So he has to look at me and he probably looks up at me and sort of thinks that is the ideal that I have to sort of, you know, sort of aspire to as an adult. So that's my problem. So I'm sort of, you know, kind of forming him in my image. But isn't that unavoidable for parents? I mean, he's going to spend more time with us. Our children are going to spend more time with us. And we are who we are. And we should embrace who we are. No matter what our beliefs are, we are us. You know, it's mm. like, are, are we trying to teach them self-hate? Like, I mean, we are who we are. And they are going to be with us. So they're going to be influenced with uh, uh, by us by everything. From what we eat to the words we say to the stories we tell. It doesn't really matter. You know, and so like, I, I don't think you should hide your beliefs from your children. I think it's good that children are aware of all these different philosophies, even atheism, agnosticism, um, and uh, all other religions. And I think it's important that uh, tolerance of all religions, you know, I've told you, Alan, I've studied all religions. I got tremendous respect for all of them from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, you know, like uh, Calvinism. Uh, speaking of that, I'm sorry, I have to go on a quick tangent. I got to diverge for just a moment, mm -hmm. Alan. I'm not Catholic predestined. Cal so Cal Catholicism is Christianity. Christianity is a is the blanket. It is like Jesus. universal. The universal is, church. Yeah, it's just followers of Christ. That's what Christian means. But, but they so Catholics split off, and there's yes, a schism yes. in ten. In the I'm going to get. Or whatever. I'll get to that right now. Just give me one second. They're all they're all Christians. It's one big umbrella. Now you're talking about Calvinism. And uh, so we have Catholicism and then we have Protestantism. Calvinism is a branch of Protestantism and Calvinism was focused on work ethic. So, so there's the Calvinist work ethic. Now I, I'll make this quick, but you also mentioned that there's the predestiny, right? The, mm. the predestined. But if you believe in fate at all, right? You if you believe in any type of fate, like that the universe is already set in motion, well, mm. then it's kind of the same concept, except for now this Christ figure gets in our way and we worry about that. But if we can say we believe that, you know, things, our futures, like have already been determined or things are the way they should be. If you use language mm. like that, things are the way mm. they should be. Mm. Well, then that's fate. That's destiny, right? Things are the way they should be. This is my destiny. So that's mm. what Calvinists were embracing, but they are Protestant. Okay. And Lutherans mm. are Protestant and Baptists are Protestant. Yeah. Okay. So it's really important. And Presbyterians. Now the Evangelicans are more of a, they're more of a Catholic Catholic uh, branch, but mm. anyways, then there's Orthodox Catholicism, mm. right? Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. So, yeah, yeah. but anyways, enough of that religion. I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring that up, you know, like, uh, 
that but uh, I'm those, saying those the two things. I'd say the subtleties are quite substantial, though. They of say course. you talk about the work ethic of the Calvinist or of the of the Protestant, whatever the Mayflower, you know, pact or whatever that was. <clears throat> I think I don't know. Each 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 um, sect brings it, its own um, ideology, special yeah aspect to the religion. So I wouldn't just call them Christianity because uh, if you want to really argue the whole concept, it's wouldn't you go to the the, the Pauline Pauline doctrine and things like that. Did I digress? <laughs> yeah. Can I just say that Platonism? All of these religions have in common is that, you know, regardless, is, is that they're all trying to, they all give people an ethical foundation. And I think, you know, teaching your kids whatever you teach them, I think ultimately it's, it's trying to form an identity. Um, and it might be an identity that branches out to a particular religion, or it just might be just good ethics. I think obviously mm. raising kids starts with good ethics, right? You want your kids to be good, good people, respectful, tolerant, understanding, aware. Um, you want to give them, you want to create that inner compass, inner great, that, that autonomous inner ethical compass that you can give them that for life. Because from my personal experience, my parents didn't give me that. And then so when I started growing up, there was nothing that was wrong and right. Didn't really, there wasn't any guilt or shame towards that. And I had to really form my own identity about who I wanted to be and, and what I thought was right and wrong. And I've, I really found that to be, it was a learning, a very powerful learning experience. And it was very uh, eye-opening and, and forging to the individual. But I felt like- They were religious. No, my parents weren't religious. No. no and no. and they, they, they just, my parents didn't really teach us good ethics. They didn't really, my dad mm. did things that I, I didn't agree with. And I didn't like most kids, usually, as John said, they kind of mirror their parents and I didn't do that. Mm. I didn't really like, I didn't really like what I saw out of my parents' behavior. So I was like, well, if I, I don't like them, well, I don't like their behaviors. Well, I need to figure out my own. And I just felt like at the end of it, I sort of, you know, adopted decent ethics anyway. And I, I sort of went like full circle, right? From exploration, a whole heap of bad, unnecessary shit that wasn't, I don't think, um, really required to grow up. But, you know, I, I finally got there in the sense of my, you know, probably mid 20s and late 20s, I really developed strong, a strong ethical compass. And I feel like that's the most, I feel like with my daughter, that's the thing that I want to give her. Now, if religion's there, if it's not there, the thing that I think about a lot is that does she need to go and make mistakes and get drunk and do drugs and, uh, you know, be promiscuous and put herself in dangerous situations to grow as an individual? Or can she have that ethical compass that we get from religion, we get from schools, from our parents? And can she sidestep that and maybe just be a good person without having to experience that? So you've got this ethical thing, this ethical compass that we have that's important, but I don't know if, if it's our human nature, even to have that as we grow up and the danger of being an adolescent to still want to do dangerous. And, and I, I think feel, religion is, is first and foremost, I think religion is, is an ethical compass. Eth ethics is morals. I think from what I've been reading recently, Eth ethics, ethics is more secular morals is more religious. So Okay, yeah. I can work with that think, definition. Yeah, okay. I think because John's driving driving this topic, he can um, take the direction from here. 
Where do, where do you want to take it? I can take it if you want, but if uh, I feel uh, like you started it. No, uh, I think it, you know, it's open now. It's definitely open now, but uh, to, to, well, earlier Stephen said I, um, that when, when is it too early to start talking about God? And I think, I think that it's, it's too early until the kids start asking questions. So uh, mm. th- it's inescapable. There are symbols that surround us and there are stories that, that just are everywhere that regard religion. And so I think when they start asking questions, like, for example, here in, in Bangkok, you go down the street, you're going to see a lot of different people, man. You're going to see Hindus. You're going to see Muslims. I mean, there's Muslim temples all over the place here. There's a huge uh Muslim population. There's also a small, small Jewish population. And then you got like 2% is Christian and uh, mm. all, all branches. Okay. Mm. <laughs> the whole, <laughs> the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Oh. Uh, um, but yeah, like, so I think that like, I like what Alan said earlier, he talked about teaching my kids Greek mythology, um, the stories, the, the, the great stories that teach us morale, ethic, right? Logic. Um, and I think that is the key right there, Alan, is to have a broad range of stories. And then, you know, like all of us, we choose the stories, the genres that we prefer, right? Like what works for us best. And that goes back to what Steven said was like, uh, uh, let them choose for themselves. What is most suitable for them? What will help them the most in this life of theirs? Right. Mm. But I, but I mean, I'm a storyteller. I love stories. Mm. And uh, that's why I love religion. I told you I've, uh, I've, you know, I've read stories and they're just so amazing, so profound and so deep and some are surface level, uh, but from all religions. Right. And they are just stories. Okay. But but stories are what make humans humans and, and different from other animals is our, our ability to tell stories. So whether it's history, whether it's philosophy, whether it's uh, math, I don't know, uh, it's all storytelling. And that's how we create these schemas within our head, right? These paradigms uh, that we believe in. It's through storytelling and everything's mm-hmm. a story. Even your personal experience is a story, right? Here we we put it in that format. So I just, I'm going to leave with that because I feel like I said what I wanted to say, which was that I mm. agree with you, you, Alan, about uh, the diversity of storytelling. Okay. And then and, and if you got to touch, like, I also see it this way. We live in a world that is so diverse um, and mm. to, to, to close these windows, these panes, or doors on our children to like isolate them from the beauty of culture and religion in the world. Mm. I think that's wrong. Yeah. Um, even, even if I was an atheist or agnostic, um, which I respect both of you guys, uh, I respect them. You're equal to me in my perspective, my perception, you're equal to me as a human being. And let me say it under God, I believe we're all equal. Um, and I want to hear those stories, but um, yeah. Um, I think I just lost my train of thought, but uh, I just think that stories are what keep us together, right? And to close the windows on uh, mm. a variety of things because of a parent's belief, because I believe in Jesus Christ, Muhammad doesn't exist, you know, Buddhism doesn't exist, mm. they're false religions, false deities. I think that's wrong. I would never right. say that about any God or any belief system because I believe that they serve those people. Uh, and it brought them together um, as one cohesive family to an extent, right? There's divisions I'll, always. I'll, I'll give a paradox that I came across on the day which happened with this, when, I, when I, this thing happened with my son, with uh, Jesus. 
um, we come inside and I explain to him that Jesus was a good guy. You know, if anyone says they believe in Jesus, don't say that they're wrong. You know, just come home, tell me, we can talk about it. My anecdote was like, if someone tells you they believe in fairies, you know, you don't tell them they're wrong. Just come home, tell them, you can tell me, we can have a good conversation about it. We know better. We can talk about these things. And then I started talking to him more about the Abrahamic religions, Judeo-Christian, Noah, and how Noah put all the, all the animals on the, on the boat. And then I kind of explained how silly that must have been. You know, there's no way that he, he could have fit all those animals on the, on the boat. And then Mickey's there trying to explain to me, no, it's perfectly possible to be able to put two of every animal on a boat like that. And then, you know, my head starts going, no, you idiot. What are you, what are you talking about? There's no way you can fit two of every animal on a boat. And then instantly the, you know, the paradox in me attacks and I'm starting to, to sort of revert to my, my bias, you know where I totally agree with everything that you say, don't limit the child with these stories. But I feel like there's, there's this level where that myth is, is such, it has to be a myth. There's no way in my mind that the, the, the flood story is true in, in, in that extent. Unless it was a really, really big boat. Ow. And a very small, <laughs> area, very, very small area. No, yes. Yeah. It's ancient Samaria, you know, it's in other Sumerian myths or whatever, but um, yeah. So I felt like, I felt like I was taking the high ground by telling Mickey, accept everyone else's p- position. It's okay. This is okay. That's okay. But then when he started actually backing up the story of the, the, the flood, I started getting defensive myself. So I feel like I was contradicting myself at the same time. So, hmm. But I like, I love the idea of, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I would just even say it's just by being cultured. I love the idea of sharing all stories from all different cultures. Right. Mm. And obviously, mm. you know, and maybe not telling, maybe not telling my daughter that yeah, they're all exactly False. true, but obviously every story that they're, they're kind of didactic. There's, there's, mm. there's wisdom in there. There's perception in there. There's our humanity in there. There's, um, there's moral ambiguity in there. There's all these different powerful stories that give us a better understanding of the world. Um, Mm. And then by having this eclectic knowledge of, you know, the the Middle East, maybe Greek myths, Roman myths, uh, you know, uh, stories from, you know, parables from Africa. I think that would only as an individual empower you Mm. because you have a lot more to draw on and understand. Intertwined. Yeah. I, I really feel that's a, you know, I, I would like more of that for myself, you know, like I've mm. studied a few Greek myths and, um, but I, I know that if I think about my, my level of knowledge, when it comes to the Middle East and Islam, there's not a lot there in my brain that I can really tap into that mm. I think would add value. So I don't know. I like the idea of a, a, an eclectic um, understanding of humanity and, and maybe our ethics or morality um, through those stories. I think that would be very useful. So how do you justify the flood story, John? Well, see, I, like uh, you're talking to a, 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 mm. a person that loves stories and puts mm. stories at the forefront of my own personal philosophy. Mm. And it's, it's a lot of, of storytelling is figurative because if you're literal, yeah. you're, you're, you're containing the mind. You're mm. saying this is true and that isn't. But if when you speak with yeah. figurative language, you give everybody a chance to look at this story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, this is the thing about figure. Like I, I feel bad that, um, that the Bible's been so 
what do you what do you, what, what do you how do you say it like um contaminated? Uh, and well that's what i'm going to yeah but it's been uh yeah it's been taken literally uh, because then people then people don't even get a chance to enjoy that story, right? Mm-hmm. When you start mm-hmm. saying this is right, this is wrong, that is we can prove it's wrong. We're we're losing. We're mm-hmm. we're, the, we're 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 limiting ourselves in our abilities, right? Um, mm. And like that's the a beginning- form of history, though, because back in the old days, they had to teach it as if it was true. Well, things were actually, I mean, it depends. Like, yeah, I mm. guess I guess so. But I, I think that people started more abstract thinking before concrete thinking, mm. um, at least when society started or storytelling started, okay? Because mm. you don't want to insult other people. So if you look at like the Lord of the Rings, are, are we going to say, oh, that ring, no ring has that kind of power. You can't make you invisible. Like mm. it can't, you know, like it's a ring, come on but that's mm. not what the story is about the story is not about goblins and ghouls and mm. hobbits we we create fictional stories to give everyone access to a truth uh, now we're not going directly at the truth because then you start losing followers you start losing uh um your audience the moment you start saying this is this and that is that i think people just lose like right like you I you think know, by being figurative, you give them a voice. You let them help paint the picture, right? So it's like like reading a book, like a fun book versus watching the movie of the same book. Mm-hmm. Reading the book allows the reader to paint the pictures, right? The story is someone else telling you what that story is. And that's where the literal comes out. And I don't, I don't know. So so that's what I would say about the boat and the flood mm-hmm. is that it's mm-hmm. it's a more metaphorical, um, figurative um hot you know um story basically yeah you know, about- the origin story from the ring lord of the rings the, the uh, plato story it's called the ring ring of ring of gaiges Play, plato no plato sitting around oh, socrates socrates is sitting around with a guy called glaucon and glaucon tells a story of how a guy falls there's an earthquake and he falls in a hole and he finds a a sarcophagus with a, uh, a dead man there and he finds a ring and he get, puts a ring on and he turns a ring and it turns out that he, he turns invisible when he turns the ring a particular direction and the whole concept is what would you do in that situation so it's actually an, an ethical story would you run around do everything steal commit crimes and get away with it would you be would, uh, would you be a just human if you um could get away with committing crime would you still do the right thing? So it's directly taken from um, a philosophical text. Hmm. Yeah, which is like, kind of like one of those universal questions, right? Like, I mean, I think that, yeah, um, from Plato to uh, the story you told to the Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. to even scriptural texts, uh, there's a lot of like questioning. It's, it's asking us to question our own ethics ask what we would do in this situation. It forces us to reflect and to look back at ourselves, right? Um, but no, I didn't know that. I think that's really cool. I love um, I love J.R. Tolkien and I love the Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, when I was in Spain in Toledo, which is this really, mm. it's an amazing city. You've heard of the, the phrase, holy Toledo, right? Yeah. And that comes from Toledo, Spain. And Toledo, Spain is uh, a place that has been... Um, kind of overrun by well the arabs the spanish uh the mosque yeah and so it's a very holy city so when you it's walled and when you go in you've got like uh 
Catholicism, Christianity, whatever symbols everywhere. You got Judeo, you got Muslim because of the convergence of all these societies. And that's what they embrace is that they are so diverse. But what I found so amazing in that city was that when I was reading those books, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I've read a couple of times, uh, I came across several displays. I mean, where it was, you know, the the uh, Islam moon and star, the star of mm. David and the cross. And then there was the ring. The Lord of the Rings was now in these displays as like really? a continuation of really? our great tradition. No, absolutely. And it was in multiple storefronts, not just one. Like I saw really? it, like it was a theme throughout that J.R. Tolkien must be the next... <laughs> <laughs> really must be, must, maybe it's this uh storytelling that's what they're mm. saying is storytelling is just as important as these it's three awesome. religions mm. but this is it sorry i have Symbol pictures I'll, I'll symbology. Take them up and, yeah yeah symbology. symbology absolutely the ring right anyways <laughs> well, the, the so, ring sorry <laughs> well i was just gonna like um i love this topic i do but i but the topic I wanted to kind of continue a little bit more with was now let's let's probably move away from um, ideologies right and philosophies and go into like uh, technology right or diet uh, or or um, yeah diet daily routine for our children um, it's very important we're gonna you know come across these situations with religion and philosophy and and the absence thereof uh, but. Uh, that will come. But for now, yeah, I want to ask you guys, like, how do we know when we're going too far, like when it comes to diet? So we've been talking about diet a little bit lately, right? And I'm really controlling. Um, uh, and I think to some extent, unhealthily, right? Unhealthily, like, I've, well, I, my son always eats vegetables. So I'm so glad I was strict on that. Right. But I've become mm. like strict to the point where sometimes I like denounce pork. Like you're just feeding him too much pork, like less pork, less milk. He doesn't need that. Like, right. Like I feel like I'm mm. trying too much to control his diet and his sleep patterns. I mean, he's still sleeping with us. You guys, he's a year and nine months and I want to kick him out of the room, but my wife my is son, like, oh. my son's four and he's in a cot next to the bed next to my wife's bed. Cause I've moved out of the room. <laughs> well i'm about to move i'm about to i told my wife i'm moving out you guys can deal with this on your own I'm, I'm but i was like but this is like what i mean am i doing the wrong thing am i am i am i being too I, hard like am i because i i think that he needs to learn to sleep alone he needs to learn to be alone i don't want yeah. them to sleep with him and coddle him too much an, but go ahead there's an old phrase I heard from Alan Watts and it says, you know, you don't go out there and teach the grass to grow. You know, you don't see people out there giving lectures to the grass. This is how you grow. You, you point towards the sun, you water yourself every day. You know, there are certain things that people sort of just figure out on their own. And I think those basic things, you know, your son will one day, I think I slept with my mom until I was about four or five and sooner or later it's sort of like, uh, mom, you know, this is a bit gay, you know, we're just doing this, you know, I think sooner or later shit figures out, you know, you kind of, things do work out. So, so some things, I think if it's going to be a vice or cause temptation in the future, maybe be a bit more hard on it. But if it's something which eh, it's just a bit innocent fun, maybe I wouldn't see a problem with it, you know? Well, he's it, disrupting my sleep for one, mm, but for two, like, um, for two, when he wakes up alone, he mm, like, I wouldn't yeah. say he screams, but he starts yeah. crying immediately Same. where this, Same. this, this didn't happen a long time ago. Um, like the first year it 
even year and three months, it wasn't like that. Cause I was watching him a lot. I'd like have days off yeah. and I'd just yeah. send, and, uh, I would leave him in the room. Once he falls asleep, I get out of there and I shut the door, leave it open. Like, you know, a hair and he just come wandering out. Oh, and see me and get all excited now. Mm. And, but now like grandma's just always there. She sleeps mm. with him and she's always yeah. patting his ass and touching yeah. him like yeah. while, while he's sleeping. And now like when I watch him too, I, I, I do the same. I just leave, let him sleep, man. I got shit. I got to do. I got to do some laundry. I got to cook some food. I got some stuff to do. Right. And like, let him sleep in peace. Um, but now he comes out crying, like scared, right? Like he's becoming dependent um, on someone being there at all times. And I just think that that's going to create problems in the future. Now, again, I am questioning myself. So I'm open to criticism. Um, I think there's some truth in what I'm saying, but I also think that maybe I overanalyze it in a way that, you know, I don't want to like- I was right. I wasn't, I wasn't raised. My mom sort of taught me the way you said, my mom sort of said, just let him, let him cry, let him cry himself to sleep, you know, screw him kind of thing. And that's what I always did. But when Mickey was first born, I had the in-laws here and they could not handle Michael crying. So it was always, you got to go in there. You got to, you know, rock the, the crib to rock him to bed. You got to go there. So we still got to put him to bed every night, every night that he goes to bed, you've got to go lay down with him for half an hour before, until he falls asleep and then he'll sleep all night and he's four years old now. So he probably do it until he's four or five. So I had a big problem with that up until about two or three. <clears throat> and then I just got over it. Now I'm just like, he'll, he'll figure his own way out. You know, if, if he gets to six or seven and he's still got a problem, maybe we might go find a, a psychologist, but I think one day he'll just be like, dad, I'm moving into, the, into my own room now. That's how I see it. I think kids are very intelligent too when it comes to picking up the different types of energies from the, the masculine and the feminine. You know, the, the woman is very feminine and nurturing and I think they need a bit of that. But I think also the man, the man in the house provides kind of like a bit more independence and protection in a different way. And they also pick up on that, you know, because, you know, my stepson's nine years old and I've been raising him since he was four. And if he falls over and his mum's there, he'll cry. But if he falls over in front of me, he won't cry. I'll be like, Anna, get up, right? And he, he, he kind of know, like, I'm like, are you, are you hurt? Are you okay? Breathe, right? And he'll, yeah. he responds differently. So it's kind of like sometimes women being overprotective, I don't think it's always a good thing. But I think that if they want to, let him. That's good too, though. Yeah, if they want to, let him. Yeah, I don't mm. think there's a problem with it. Um, the, love's I, the love's nice. Yeah, and I don't think there's a problem with that. But I think that the man should kind of balance it out a little bit. So like, you know, if, if the man's in the house and the baby wakes up crying, it's kind of like, you don't have to go, oh, no, you're like, hey, buddy, how are you? You know, give him a hug and, you know, but not having to, to, to coddle them, not having to like fawn over them and make all these ridiculous noises mm. and, you know, respect the woman's place Doing. in the sense of she's nurturing and giving that kid emotional love and security and a sense of belonging and protection and peace, right? When that, when the kid's really upset, He's not going to cry to his dad. He's going to cry to his mom because, you know, that's, that's who makes mm. him feel really safe that way. But if shit goes down, right. He's, he's going to hide behind his dad. He's, mm. he's like, all right, there's someone at the door. I don't know who it is. I'm going to, I'm going to hide behind dad. Dad, should we open the door? What do we do? Depending right? how vicious mom is. Yeah. Well, that's true too. So <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say like that, that gets stuck in completely in general. The, but the, fun, the interesting thing is you're actually the one that's going through the, the most severe period of this phase of weaning yeah. a child into sleep phase. 
Yeah, and I can hear Circadian my daughter crying rhythm. as we speak. Um, and I, I really feel that, like, I guess it falls off the back of everything that you guys have said. I, I feel like children naturally respond towards the different energies. So I think, you know, if, if the way I would say it is that you do you the way that you think's best and give him love the way that you feel is most natural to you. Your wife will do it in the way it's most natural to her. And then I think if you if you're both giving them him unconditional love, it, mm-hmm. naturally things will find a way. Um, and hard love. Yeah, but I'm not a I'm not a fan in hard love because a little I, bit. I a little bit. Well, I, I guess you have to define what is hard love, right? Let him go to sleep. Sorry. Like let my 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 philosophy originally was let him cry to sleep. You know. Yeah, I think that's a little bit tough. Yeah, especially really. Yeah, it depends on the age too. Like, and it depends on you know if it's if it's if he's two months old or if he's a year old, you know, like or, or what he gets used to and and the, and the processes and you know why are they crying? They're crying and, because they want you there. That's right. So why are they crying? And then what have you they done? Want you there. A, a lot of it's kind of like you got to take responsibility for all the stuff that you've done before to get them to that mm. point, right? So. Mm. You know, if you've been there rocking mm. him to sleep all day, you know, up yep. until he's a year old and then you all of a sudden take that away, obviously it's going to be yep. a shock for him. So, you know, twice as long. Yep. yeah. So maybe it's one way of attacking it, John, is that you're communicating with your wife and say, what do you think is a reasonable strategy? How do we deal with this? What's a reasonable age? Mm. What about if we try this strategy, see how it works? And then, you know, you're both on the same page and then that way it's, you can try and then see how, the, how he reacts. Um, because like, if, if you're not on the same page and you're doing one thing and your wife's doing another thing or as Alan I went wrong. yeah if you have mm. an ideology and a, a belief system and your wife yeah. has something totally different then that, that's going to cause not only conflict between both of you and your wife yeah. it's going to cause it which you know like it's not going to be congruent with the behavior of um to get the, the behavior that you want to elicit the behavior you want out of your child didn't have, have conflict but i'm so confident that mickey will still just figure his own thing out in his own time you know we're kind of stuck at at his behest now you know when he decides to sleep it on his own is when he decides to do it so you know i don't think it will anything, happen one day i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know mm. um but at the same time when he wakes up you're probably not growing running to him and going mickey are you okay mm. are you okay you're probably not mm. doing that you're probably like hey buddy good morning yeah. You know, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're giving him that security just by being calm. That's mm. that's the thing that women do that I don't like. The women can make children feel scared by being kind of like um, dr- dramatic or emotional. And instead of like creating a feeling of like they're doing it because they love the kid and they want to protect him. But at the same time, they're making him feel scared. And they're like, yeah. oh, my God, are you OK? It's like just like just just calm yeah, down yeah, okay yeah. no yeah. one's no one's losing an, an eye or an or a finger you know it's like, louder than the kid does yeah you know like just just calm down like for example like my wife used to scream every time there was an animal in the house and bro when mm. we lived in colombia visio Vicencio, um there was a, <laughs> a huge toad that came into the house right toad yeah like a toad a big frog and anhel was petrified mm. and he was like five years old and i'm like why are you why are you screaming you know like when i was a kid i was picking up those things and throwing them out the window you know like we were Mm. throwing toads at each other right Mm -hmm. um and he was he was screaming his lungs off and so scared and i said to killary i said to my wife i said listen you've taught him this now we have to unteach him this 
And then I basically taught him, I'm like, if an animal comes into the house, you don't need to be scared. Do this. Okay. Mm. I'm from Australia. We've got lots of animals just like Colombia, you know, like it's fine. You can, you can find a way to get the animal out of the house without, you know, losing your mind. And it's a really simple example, but you know, like women being overly protective is, is a beautiful thing as long as it doesn't install fear in the kid. I think that's the distinguishing. And if it, if she is, then the, I think it's the, the responsibility of the masculine figure to say, is there a reason to be genuinely concerned for your safety? Yes or no. And being in the, in the logic and the calm and the, the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I, I just, I, I agree too. And uh, like, I've experienced that quite a bit too, um, Steve-O and now like when my son falls and I'm there, I know it's not a big fall, but the reaction, the reaction is so intense for it's shocking to me it's like this oh they go get him pick him up and, and start like saying things really loud in his ear and i'm like dude settle down he barely got hurt he's just you know there's no there's no cuts no bruises no broken bones just a slap and when i pick him up he, he'll get quiet a lot faster I'll just be like, oh, it's all right, buddy. You got this. And I'm very quiet and I'm very like mm. speaking in his ear. It's going to be okay, buddy. You're strong. You can do this. But the opposite, I don't even want to give you an example of it right now because it will blood our microphones. Like it's, it's like, there, yeah. it's to the point where I'm like, God, that's so stressful. Why would mm. you like soothe mm. pain with extreme stress and dynamics and high pitches and mm. oh man. But anyways, this is the thing I'm grappling with is how do I know when I'm going too far um, as a father, you know, Know, who wants the best for his son um and are the women going too far like steven said like no yeah. this this love that women provide is so important so valuable and it creates security a sense of security and stability in a child Safety. but it can go it can go too far and like I could just imagine if I wasn't teaching from home, if it wasn't for COVID, I mean, COVID made me a better father. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. No, no, no. But it like it gave me you're spending more time with your family. Yeah. I get to be home. Yeah. I get to be involved. I get to take over some of those situations. Whereas I would too. have, and it's really, I like, I worry about these things like, God, I just don't want to be coddled. And I don't know if you guys know, uh, but Thailand's a very coddled society. Like the women typically run the show. Um, they're the heads of the households, the breadwinners. I mean, today, okay. More so today than 50 years ago. I mean, my grandma, mother-in-law, she's a housewife in Sisseket in, in a farm, right? She, she does all the house stuff. And then the husband works his ass off and, uh, and that's their life. But I think after that generation, the women, the, the men were just kind of like, you know, they have a job for a few months and then quit, go drink for a few, you know, and it's not all, but it is known as a highly coddled society. And there is a reason why a lot of Thai women say they wouldn't marry a Thai man. And that's unfortunate, you know? Um, and that's what I'm like, I've said to my wife, like, okay, you married me. Why? And she explains to me, well, you, you know, Westerners are harder workers. They're more focused. They're more uh, responsible. And I go, then Thai men. She said, yes. And I said, who raises Thai men? <laughs> and it got really quiet, really fast. And we were having a discussion about this because, because there's things that grandma does that I disagree with. I'm like, no, 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 that's not right. You know, but, but 
my wife doesn't want to question her mom. She doesn't want to translate what I'm saying to her mom because it's offensive, right? This is a non-confrontational uh, mm. culture, yeah. um, very passive. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like this is, I'm serious right now. This is very important mm. to me. You need to translate this. Yeah. And she, she probably doesn't, she doesn't have the time because the same problem keeps happening. Um, but it's just, it's ironic, right? Like you marry a foreign person because they're responsible because they work mm. hard because they treat their women better, but then you want the same people that raise the men mm. to raise your son mm. so so what are we doing here but like this has gotten me in trouble it has got me in trouble in the mm. past because it caused conflict and i want to as i said to uh i want to be more selfless and like i don't want to be pushing my boundary because if i get upset even for a good reason everyone's upset isn't that just equally as bad? So like, this is what I mean, like being a father, I get conflicted sometimes. You don't have to get upset though. You can be rationally, rationally argumentative. So Alan, that, uh, so if you, if you were rationally argumentative and then you, that you were rationally argumentative five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times about the same exact topic, how long does the ration run on? I mean, it's the same exact topic. It's not a new one. It's the same. Mm. Don't put Vicks Vapor Rub near my son's nose. I Googled mm. it. Vicks, the company, mm. says don't put it on a baby. That's lesson okay. two. Why yeah. are you putting it? So you know what I mean? Okay. And it's yeah. like the same thing. Yeah, that's a that's I'd put my foot down. I'd put my foot down. and say, I'd, Sorry, I'd control the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I that, started grabbing like the Vicks yeah. bottles and just throwing them away. And they're like, have you seen it? I was like, nope. <laughs> I've, I've, then, I've had I've had worse situations, and uh, my wife was putting something called camphor on my son, and he was he had some kind of skin allergy, but it would get worse and worse and worse. And eventually, I'm like, I, I smell something like petrol in the house, kind of thing. And it's like, what is that? The smell? And it turned out she's putting camphor on my son, and it what was actually called. It's some kind of petrochemical thing, which was causing more issues. Right. So I kind of politely, firmly, passive aggressively said, no more of this. If I see this again, there's going to be issues, you know, so. And she responded the first time or second time? I, I had to figure it out. I had, I had to go like full Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> bit of a different situation okay so you're saying situation. i should plan i should plan out my approach okay i will plan out my approach much better next time i think I, you're right maybe sometimes i i'm not like like consciously like trying to like how do i communicate this the right way the first time instead of like just saying it the wrong way five times right uh, and was, then getting was, angry that i'm that they're not yeah. understanding my wrong way of saying it it was a different situation. I was very angry, but I know by getting angry, it doesn't help anything. So I had yeah. to forcefully be, be stern, but say, if you do this again, then I will get angry. You know, you've got the warning. Maybe yeah. you've got two more, two warnings, but you know, it's coming, you know. Yeah. I think that's where man's power lies in the, in the communication and right. You have found mm. it in the rational and the reasonable and the, and the, and within the, the the tranquility there, because there's a there's a beautiful energy that a man has being able to do that and being in control. Um, and I think women respect that. Uh, and then I think that if it's communicated in a way that's effective and there's the, the logic behind, it, if they get it, then I, I can't see why they they can't compromise and say, well, well, I either agree or I disagree, and then mm -hmm. then it it goes down another path, right? 
So you compromise I, you know, with the VIX, you can comprom- compromise on, on a different product, you know. You say, if you need yeah, to do this, we can exactly. find another product. Exactly. It might be like, oh, we didn't know that it's dangerous. And maybe the thing is, there's, there's two things happening here, right? But it's, um, it's, it's really, if the moment that you get angry, I feel the moment that I get angry in my relationship, whether it's dealing with anything is the moment that I know that I lose. Because if, if I'm not, um, if I'm not calm and in control, then I'm, I know my wife is not going to be calm and in control. And I know that her kid is not going to be calm, calm and in control. So there's the first thing. The, the other thing too, is that all three of us here, we, we are in relationships with women from a different country and a different culture. And I remember you mentioned this to me once, John, you know, it's a different language. It's going, going, you know, getting filtered and words and symbols. We all mm. get mixed up yeah. in those, even as native speakers, there's different expectations. There's different cultural um, conditioning and expectations. And as well as that, to add that on top is that you're a man and you think like a man and you think with reason and you think, um, you know, logically, and we don't react as instinctively to our emotions. We think about them a little bit before we sh- and we should, whereas women don't do that. Women are, are very, um, they're very present and they, they, they embrace everything they feel and they're just a wave of chaos. And it's a beautiful wave. Uh, of femininity but you know so there's there is something else to combat and you know so you've got these different layers so something as simple as these vix vix vapor drops or the vix cream whatever it is um something that seems like it could be fixed within a two-minute conversation has to it has to permeate these different layers and has to you know get into their consciousness and then reach some kind of agreement and it's not always as easy as as uh, a two-minute conversation so it might be maybe a way is is doing it arguing smarter arguing finding a you know maybe using the socratic method and saying you know getting them to admit that the product is actually bad first yeah. you know yeah and i've learned like you know, I think I was relying too heavily on my wife to be a translator for me. Um, and I think that I was, that was asking too much. And so I've, I've learned in this, these processes, of course, there's new problems today, but I've learned from that experience that um, there's a different way to do it. You know, like I, I, I bring them both together at the same time. Like that's something I never did with that one particular thing, right? Like to show them and be like, no, and then maybe draw a diagram on a whiteboard. <laughs> no. my, my wife has literally drawn diagrams for me to explain stuff, <laughs> especially in the, in the early days of, because you know, I had to speak Spanish with her from the beginning for, you know, so she's literally drawn me diagrams and said, she drew me one the other day about um, my, rela- my relationships and responsibilities. And I said, listen, friends for me are a responsibility. They're not, they're, they're not, um, they're not a luxury. Then it's not an option. The friends are also part of my responsibility. She, so she drew a diagram anyway, and that's something. It's a <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, you were saying that um, you know, drawing a diagram and communicating in different ways, and and um, you know, the Socratic method of kind of like. Getting them to admit it, I think, is, is something that's powerful. Like, what's this product? What does it do? Is this is this a you know? Are we sure that it's a a safe product? How do we know? Have you? Is there any information? Trying to achieve with this? Yeah, you know, like, why does this product smell like petrol? Wouldn't mm. that be bad for his skin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm. If if we put this on his skin and you have this reaction, what's happening here? Yeah. Like, getting them to kind of make then you don't have to do it, and then it's kind of like. 
if they can come up with it themselves then you've already won i think that's a that's a obviously that's um that could be effective but but they have baby baby versions of vix vapor rub or not even vix it's like a baby sort of variation of it is what my my wife would use yeah they have baby versions of everything right Mm. mosquito repellent for example Mm. Shampoo. You kind of just make sure it says for you know if it's for 12 months or or younger or whatever you know but ultimately too like there's a lot of shit that people sell it's, it's all chemicals right like and mm-hmm. people say it's good like i hurt my back at the gym and i took some painkillers and i found out there was an option to go and get an injection in, in the in the pharmacy it was like three thousand pesos or seven thousand pesos which is like two dollars two dollars american <laughs> and um like I took these painkillers and they worked. They were really strong. Uh, I took one a day and at the end of it, I threw them away. And someone at the, the my training buddy was like, what did you take? What, what's it called? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I took. It's called proxy, whatever. All I know is that I'm never taking them again. And I never want to use them again because yes, they're effective, but putting your body, taking anything chemically that you don't need to into your body for me, it's just giving your body more work to do. And I feel like it's very easy to become, you know, I've got a headache. I'm going to take this tablet. And, you know, my daughter was sick and killer is like, let's take it to the doctor. I'm like, no, let's just wait a couple of days. If she doesn't get better and she gets worse and she can't breathe properly because she had like, she had a bit of a cold. Um, I said, you know, if it gets worse, let's go to the doctor. But right now we just came back from the pediatrician. He told us what, where she's at. You don't, you don't have to pump her full of drugs. So it's kind of like, maybe it comes stems out of fear, you know, like, oh, my, my boy needs this. Scientologist. Like, Sorry? You're like a Scientologist. Maybe. Maybe that's my, my, new, my new calling <laughs> that I'm just about to figure out in this, spot, in, this, in this space right now. But maybe it comes out of fear. It's kind of like, oh, you know, my kid's sick. We're just going to give him this pill. Or like, oh, he's got a runny nose. So we put this right mm-hmm. now. You know, like yeah. he's got funny skin. Like we, sometimes yeah. we underestimate what the body can do and we underestimate yeah like what good exercise can do taking him to the park uh healthy eating yeah playing you know solving problems healthy eating we underestimate how powerful that shit is because i tell you what man i grew up on a farm and i was literally throwing cow shit at people you know i was Mm. literally picking up cow shit and we were literally drinking milk out of the cow um like 15 minutes after it was pulled out of the cow i know that probably makes me want to vomit mr vegan um, and I, I wouldn't do that now because probably, I probably would get probably sick. give you pl- plenty of yeah like microbial problems there too. Is, well, this is the thing. Like I, as a kid, I never got sick. anthrax. I was going to say, but no one got anthrax. No. <laughs> <laughs> or did they? Well, I didn't You're get anything. Like seriously, I've never even had. I've never had food poisoning. And I know that's a big call, but I've never had food poisoning. Ooh. I don't usually get sick. Causal relationship. Well, I can, I've eaten stuff that's made other people sick and then mm. I haven't got sick. I'm, I'm L- arguing lucky. here that with my anecdotal lucky super evidence. Penicillin exists. Yeah, well, that's another story. But like, before, before penicillin, you get scratched by a rose bush and you die. Right. So, you know, I've had tetanus shots, of course. But I'm saying mm. that, man, my immune system with is, with is amazing. And I, it's come from the farm. Like, I don't get sick very often. And I, yeah. I know for a fact it's, 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 it's has to have because, you know, I don't get sick with little ailments that a lot of people do. And I know that I grew up literally cleaning rabbit shit and cow shit mm. and milking cows and killing chickens. And, 
you know, it's not the, not the life that I want now for me and for my family, but it was what was there. And I, it, it definitely made me strong and healthy and I'm 39 and I've never really been sick. Yeah, I can um, give you the, 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 the devil's advocate if you had to hear it. Sure. Go, go, John. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I've lived in Colombia and I live here in Thailand now and they do like, I, I agree that the, we should allow the body to do it's what it's good at uh, before yeah. jumping on to medicines because here and in Colombia, they just throw medicine. Everybody says, oh, medicine, Anti medicine, antibiotics, medicine, medicine, antibiotics. Oh, dude, here you'll get five things. They're going to give you like electrolytes and like two types of this and two types, mm. you know, and like penicillin. Do you want penicillin? You know, the, mm. they give penicillin for a common cold here or for mm. some, I mean, it's crazy. It just really? makes your it is really? insane. And it will happen in Colombia too, right? Like it can happen there too. Mm. Like they just believe that. The, 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 like in the, the healthcare no, system, it's, like it's the, just the take patient. The, medicine. The, 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 the customer, the patient wants to have the doctor give them something. That's what they're doing. The doctor's like, shut up, take this. Well, the pharmacies aren't really regulated. Yeah. They're regulated, but no one really pays attention. So I went to the mm. pharmacy the other day and I had an infected thumb. I didn't want to go to the doctor and take a day off work. And uh, killer is like, you're an idiot. Don't do it. And I went there and I, and I said, like, look, this I'm like, give me some antibiotics. And she gave me some antibiotics and like, they didn't work. They were the wrong ones. So like they, they worked a little bit. And then, really? um, sorry. You're all people, Steve-O. You're all people, Steve-O. I, I'm a, look, my ethical uh, compass for being no. such a, a hard worker is kind of- No, but, but, but uh, haven't you heard of the antibiotic, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the virus resistant antibiotics kind of thing well i think it's like in colombia we're in a tropical zone okay. here so we're, we're liable yeah. to lots of skin infections um mm. and i haven't i've only taken but you just you just contradict, contradicted your whole your whole argument just then. I, I know but i've only taken i've taken antibiotics like five times in my life and usually usually they work but get me out here Alan, this will make a lot of sense is that okay. i went to the doctor like two weeks later and the doctor was like yeah you're an idiot you shouldn't have taken them they were the wrong ones and they mm. gave me the right antibiotics, <laughs> right? And then literally like three days later, it was gone. And, um, you know, so what's the point there is that if you're not, if you're not educated, like I am obviously not, and, you know, you think you need to, if you have money, you can buy whatever. And mm. you're not necessarily doing yourself a favor by doing that because you might not be letting mm. your body do the job. And number two, yeah. you might not be taking the right medicine. Sorry. When we were kids, when we were kids, you go to the doctor and they'd always give you antibiotics and say, go home, take these, you'll get better. And that was it. Now they don't do that anymore. They've, they've stopped giving antibiotics because they know that it's causing resistance in the viral population. Yeah, like as a date, like a like a regular um, remedy. It's, mm. it's, not a, it's not a remedy. It should be reserved for really... Yeah like specific ailments every like day really big yeah like so you should avoid it at all costs but there was a time where it was just like pumped out like here just take mm. it and that's like i find like where i'm at now or is like 30 40 years behind well my home country right there there's yeah. just certain areas where they're just behind they're advanced technologically don't get mm. me wrong this mm. country thailand is way better than the united states at your finances on your phone like the mobile phone here is the, the aircon on the wall there way beyond but then there's these things like pollution and understanding mm. about medicines like mm. dude why are you taking medicine for a cold it's you, you have an immune system like mm. come on yeah it's it's but, big, um, it's it's also like it's it's the capitalistic kind of corruption too where they they, they choose not to educate people because 
if they educate people, then people won't waste money on stuff they don't need. Um, so I think if they educated people and they, the government put in practices, obviously that wouldn't happen. Like Australia is super regulated, you know, as Alan said, you can't get antibiotics Anything. unless you really need them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so maybe it's a bit of that, but you know, going back to your son, like even the, your, you know, going to those basic principles of good food, good exercise, um, you know, good sleep, you know, technology is a huge one. You know, my, I have a question for you about, you said you were really strict about your son's food. Does, does your son, Pork? yeah. Is he aware that you're, you're super strict with you, with what he consumes? Is he aware My of that? son? Yeah. No, because when I say, I shouldn't say I'm super strict, but I, I was, and it's getting more, I'm getting more and more lenient because he's getting older. Uh, right. So like sugar and salt has always been a really fucking big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, are we allowed to swear on the podcast? I'm not sure. Um, anyways, it's always been a really big one for me. And like, I mean, As in diet, cut it, it out. It, it's like, yeah, it's like, don't cook eggs with fish sauce like give them a boiled Mm. egg i i did an experiment the other day like i just scrambled some eggs and had my wife take a bite and i was like do you do you think i added salt and she's like yeah it tastes like you added a little bit of salt i was like no eggs are naturally Mm. have salt in them yeah Yeah. so don't add fish sauce to my son's food there's msg in that shit like Uh, msg is really bad in thailand too because it's not regulated Mm. No, no, and it's totally accept. It's embraced, dude. Yeah, and in the United States, MSG. I remember it's totally. And China too. It's just like MSG right in the salt section. You're like, wait, what is this really? Yeah. What I think it is, it is. Yeah. But you know, so stuff like that. My son doesn't know, dude. He's he eats better than anybody in this whole house. He, I mean, it's but it's like the sugar and salt, right? I don't want him to have ice cream. I don't want. I mean, he has had some ice cream. He can have ice cream once in a while, but like. I try to postpone this for as long as possible because that's going to happen anyways, right? And his brain's developing, his body's developing. These are the most crucial times in his life. And he's going to get exposed to the, you know, the, the first, what do you call it? The, the most basic drug sugar, you know? And so like, I don't want him exposed to that. He can eat fruit. That's dessert, man. That shit's delicious. Strawberries. Come Mm. on. These are great, but I don't want salt. So I've been strict like that, but no, Stephen, he doesn't know. Like he yeah. wouldn't be because so he, he eats such good it, it's food. Not like, it's not like he he knows and he feels like he's missing out. I and mean, there's all these mm. negative connotations towards. But he, you know, he may know one day. You know, but yeah, he, he goes will. to school. Well, that that happened to me. He's actually. gonna go, Dad. Well, and that's gonna Dad. happen to your son too, I think. You know, like, and I think that's a normal process. For the right? veganism. Yeah, absolutely. Like no, but I'm I'm open about it. Yeah, and then I think. If you're educating him, that's more than my parents did for mm. me. But, you know, he's, he's going to get to school and be like, you know, like I did, like, look at McDonald's everywhere. Look at all these, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, fried chicken places and stuff that mm. my parents, you know, we never had mm. like soft drink in the house. Um, mm. You know, I think that's definitely going to happen. But if, he, if, if he's not, I feel like if your kid, if your son is not missing, he doesn't feel like he's missing out. There's no negative connotations or, or, or emotions associated to eating good food. Then mm. I think really all you're doing is doing him a massive favor by just giving him awesome nutrition so that he grows up yeah. to mm. be, doesn't eat, at least avoids the, sh- the sugar addiction for as long as possible and lets his body and brain develop as much mm. as, it, as it can. So yeah. I think that's that's a smart and responsible thing to do. I don't think it's I don't think there's anything wrong okay. with that. My my wife is like you. She's full, you know, hardline 
you know, uh, fundamentalist health wise. Um, I agree with it, but I also don't want to go down the path that you're talking about where he's going to blow out one day, like Steve O said. So every now and again, once a week, I might go up the road and buy my son like a nice block or something from, from the shopping center or something like that, which is very sugary, very sweet over, over, over the board. But, um, I don't know. It's a bit of a treat. It's a bit of fun to, to have as well. So it's not every day. It's not every day. Once yeah, a week. And, and that's the thing is like, I'm not that gnarly. I'm gnarly mm. on the daily, but he, like I, I was mm. telling Steven, you, di- you dipped out, but, uh, he has ice cream uh, sometimes. Mm. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. I prefer Sherbert right now, but, but whatever he does have ice cream, um, mm. sometimes, um, but I do stay away from chocolate because of the caffeine. Uh, and I don't want it a daily thing because the more exposure he gets to these sweets and salties, the less he likes his broccoli and his carrots, mm. you know, like, and so, oh, we, we told no, my son, I'm, we told I'm my not going to be radical. Broccoli like is, broccoli is strength. All the vegetables are all make you stronger and smarter and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. my son's always eating his vegetables. Yeah. And I agree with that. So no, I agree. Some exposure is good, but like we got three people, right. That have Mm. different concepts of what is enough. So if I do it on a Sunday, then on a Tuesday and Wednesday, Mm -hmm. grandma, grandma will do it. (laughs) It becomes every day because I, because I'm not here. Right. Like, Mm. so it's gotta be like controlled, Mm. but that's a a really hard thing. I think that you like men have, because a lot of times men are out of the house and then the, the kids are spending a lot of time with their mom. And they, they unfortunately don't get that balance of energy. And then you come home and then you kind of try to like fix things, you know, like, oh, why is this system in practice? You know, uh, you know, how can we not have my son scream every time there's a butterfly that comes in the door, you know, and it's just, you know, you kind of, so you're trying to undo a lot of the, the, a lot of the conditioning. And it's, it's, it's just really unfortunate that um, as a man, it's a lot of times we're not in the house and it's, 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 I think that can be detrimental. So you probably have to work harder, you know, in the, in the after, after work times, like after work on the weekends to make sure that you're allocating your time and your energy so that he can, he can benefit from, from you. But how about yeah. with your side, your side, Steve, your, I'd say your missus would be pretty, pretty good when it comes to nourishment, nutrition, food, food wise. Well, you would think, but to be honest, you know, you would think, but she's not like, you know, she's, she, my wife doesn't particularly like to cook. So that means she'll like cook things, you know, quick and dirty. And that means Mm. I've taken the role as, as the primary cooker in the, in the house, if that's a word, you know, and I, yeah, definitely. Cause I feel like it's, I can cook. If you're going to cook something quick and nasty, you're probably better off not doing it at all. And, as um, in, as in, baking, yeah, frying, fried stuff. Um, mm. You know, like she spent a lot of time instead of cooking dinner, she would just get her like a cheap and nasty kind of restaurant and get a, a basic kind of Colombian meal, and it works. You know, but sounds like me. It, it's so it sounds like sounds like me. Maureen's the you know the, the health freak, and when it comes to she'll she'll cook a plate of you know spinach or broccoli or whatever. Yeah, you got to have. I think in the family, it's, it's okay if there's polarity, right? If it's okay mm, if you're mm. you're crazy and she's not, or she's crazy I, and you're not. But I admit I'm wrong. Well, yeah, and it's it could be mm. a it's a good balance for the kid because mm. you could be super strict, John, and then your wife's not, and then 
the kids be able to bounce between the two and find maybe a middle ground. So that's healthy. Um, mm. My wife is great when it comes to cognitive, cognitive development, behavior, and, and understanding how to behavior and manage her son and my daughter. She's very loving. She's Colombian. So Colombian women are extremely um, emotional, caring, nurturing. Uh, it's, it's all about family. Battling. Yeah, lots of that. They're, they're great moms, you know, and they, 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 they provide a really good energy in the house. So she's really good at the psychological stuff. She is a psychologist. She's a neuroscientist uh, or neuropsychologist. Uh, when it comes to the diet, not so much. And that's where, when I met her, I was literally like, I was literally like, what are you cooking on? Is this even a stove? Does this work? Like, I, I literally went and bought her a stove the first month that I met her because I'm like, you're not cooking on a proper stove. How can you cook properly? Your vegetables aren't cooking. The stove is like dying. You know, it's just this piece of crap. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. So maybe the uh, maybe the trick is is um, you know finding the balance there between the two extremes would be the way to yeah. go. Acknowledging yeah. one sign fault for flaws. Well, that's good too. As, I said, being, as yeah. I said, I would prefer to go out and get a nice um, restaurant made meal, but I, I do acknowledge that it's not always the healthiest. How much does a restaurant, like a vegan, a good vegan meal cost? Oh, it's good. Another, like, it's like cheap if, here. Say, like, how much does a plate of, um, like, let's go vegetables. Yeah, um, 12, 12 bucks, 12 bucks for a nice, you know, meat and vegetables. Yeah. Dang. That, that's cheap. In Australia, it's heaps cheap in Australia. Normally, you're probably 20, 20 bucks for a normal restaurant. Yeah. And that's fake about, meat, too. It's about $3 here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, because, but you just head to like, to like an Indian restaurant or mm. uh, because that's typically, I mean, there's other higher end vegetarian for sure. But uh, I think that the easiest, most accessible, which is healthy, very healthy, mm. a little bit spicy, love but not cheese lentils. and not mm. meat. Yeah. Lentils, mm. uh, uh, cucumbers, you know, the, mm. some veg there. Um, man, it's delicious. I got a platter for a hundred baht, which is like $3 us. Uh, mm. It's actually a little less, but it's like, for like like it's not tortillas but it's like the indian version of tortilla then yeah, yeah. we had beans like and there's low salt no uh no sugar and thai food mm. has a ton of sugar mm. um and then just vegetables and tortillas and it was like mm. four different sauces one was like eggplant it was, yeah, yeah, yeah then there was the beans and then there was like i forget two more couldn't finish it all three bucks mm. boom spicy though yeah, super spicy. Yeah, actually, really, I was surprised. Really. I, I was actually shocked. I was not expecting really? it to be as spicy Indian, as it was. Indian food being spicy. I what? know, I know, I know, yeah. dude. I'm yeah. not as smart as I look. All right, buddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not so smart. It's just sort of aware. No, it's because my Indian concept comes from like either friends that cook for me or American, right? And then okay. American is not okay. real Indian. Yeah, it's like okay. me Mexican yeah. or Chinese mm. or whatever. Mm. No, in, in Australia, Indian is real Indian. Uh, yeah, because they're literally like there's there's a there's a there's a, a city called Parramatta. Is it a city, Alan? I'd say it's a that's city. where I live. That's where I am right now. You're, <laughs> you're you around. Yeah, so Parramatta yeah. is is well, Alan can tell you more than I can, but it literally is so multicultural that you have like Indian, Italian, Greek restaurants. We used to um, crush beers at that Greek. Uh, it was mm. it was that German restaurant restaurant Bavarian bar. beer that, cafe or something. Yeah. And there's just a bunch of Lebanese, Italian, 
Um, really? so it's, yeah, it's very authentic because they're just, mm. like, they're literally immigrants that are, are cooking their own food. But I don't know mm. what you guys think of this. Like I'm vegetarian now and I've been vegetarian for, I think it's, I'm actually not sure. I think it's around a year and a half and my wife's vegetarian as well. But I actually, Hillary, my wife says that, you know, we don't make Angel be vegetarian. We, we've asked him like, he's nine years old and we say, do you want the fake meat or the real meat? Right. And, you know, like we've, we've spoken to him about being vegetarian and about, you know, animals and stuff. And we, and basically every day that I cook, I cook a meal. Usually Killer and I, I cook the same meal for myself and my wife usually now, and I cook a separate meal for him. Um, so I thought that might be interesting to share because, you know, he's, he was brought up eating meat. And then it's kind of like, it's kind of like too late to take that away from him because, you know, it, it wouldn't be really fair for it. You know, if, if the kids, well, he's nine now and he was eating meat since, you know, yes, nine bloody hell kids went to Auschwitz at nine. Yeah. But we're not in Auschwitz. <laughs> what are you talking right? about? We're not, we're not, we're yeah. not in Auschwitz. You, you, you're talking about just having to eat bloody synthesized meat. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, you get what used you, to it. So what what are you saying? So you're saying that if, if if in that situation he's under your house. Yeah. So well, let me ask you your, your opinion. So you're saying that if we switch and become vegetarian, that I'm gonna ob- obligate him to to be vegetarian without giving him the choice. Is that fair? No, he can be. He can eat meat, but he has to get it himself. <laughs> <laughs> if you're cooking dinner, he's eating your dinner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, for lunchtime, you can go get your meat, but I'm cooking dinner tonight and this is what you're going to get. But I don't think that's a fair thing to say to a nine-year-old that, that has no economic power whatsoever. Like really? he hasn't really? got like, you know, two pesos to rub together. So, <laughs> <laughs> And he's in like Bogota, dude. Like Bogota <laughs> is a gnarly city, man. It's huge and it's dangerous, man. But uh, no, I, 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 I can, I actually, okay, I agree with both of you. Okay, so mm. I'm going to say really quick what to Al or Alan. I'm not sure if I agree um, with myself. So, but with Alan, like he's under your roof. Like the thing is, is like, I'm like that father that like, if my son's like, I want chicken nuggets and French fries. I'm like, dude, I just cooked you like a, a delicious, healthy meal. And that's what's for dinner. No, I want uh, chicken nuggets and mm. French fries. Dude, I'm going to be like, no, I don't think so, dude. Mm. But at the same, so I do be, kind of believe in that. Like mm. the family shares food, but I also believe with uh, Steve-O big time because like, he probably loves me, you know, like a lot of people do a lot of people really love meat and you're looking at one right now. Uh, but, uh, but Mm. you know, so like out of love, uh, if he wants, I think it's, I think it's good for you to provide for him if he wants some meat, like I do, like, cause like I disagree with Alan, like you can't just say, yeah, go buy your own meat, buddy. We don't eat meat in this house. Like when, when you, you just proved to him for eight years that you did. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, a, how, how, how wrong. you're going to, you're going to make him not like trust. That's like going to break trust. Right. Like it's like hypocritical almost yeah. like, Oh yeah, the, you can eat meat the, for the, eight years. And then the government, pres- the government prescribed yeah. heroin for 20 years too, but they had to cut that out. Well, the government who trusts the government. I mean, I've never tried. I'm talking about parents, buddy, parents, yeah, people that people, actually love you. People Alan, make, not people, people make that make money off of you. People make mistakes. Yeah. True, true, true. Yeah. So I agree with both of you to an extent, uh, for sure. Uh, maybe more. No, I agree with you guys both equally. I think that there, but, but this, the vegetarian thing is a little more difficult. Okay. So like if, mm. I guess I'm just saying that I'm not what's sure. Cooked, I 
yeah, what's cooked should be eaten. Like there shouldn't be like special cooking. But in yeah, sorry, Joe. I, I I got stuck into him this morning because like you know his grandma made him like a caldo, and caldo is just like a very traditional you know soup. You know, John's probably had caldo like ten thousand times, and he was like, I don't want to, I don't want the the soup. I want a tortilla, and I'm like, listen, your grandmother went out of her way to cook that soup. And she made it for you and she made it for she made it for her. She made it for the family. And this is what you're going to say. And how you're going to say, thank you very much, grandma, for cooking me that soup. I will eat it and it will taste delicious. And even if it's not true, you're going to say that. And I made him say that to his grandmother. And he did, and he, and he ate it. And I was like, look, I said to, to, to her, I'm like, we always give him a choice. We always give him a choice before we cook. But if you've cooked something for him, and you've done that for the goodness out of the goodness of your own heart. He needs to learn a little bit of respect and go. Someone's provided a meal for me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna appreciate that and eat it. And I think, as as autocratic as that can sound, I think it's you, you should always give children choice. Whether you're a teacher in the classroom or whether it's you, you you're giving a kid and offering a child a meal, but within that has to come a little bit of awareness that there is where did that food come from who paid for it who's who's putting the energy in creating that and who's taking responsibility for that and when he's old enough to eat whatever he wants and bring food in the house it's different but at the moment grandmother made you a soup you're going to sit down and you're going to eat that and if you don't eat it you're not going to get anything else you're going to have to wait till, till lunch before you get your next meal yeah i agree with that completely like a sense of gratitude like right appreciate what you have and i don't want to be the kind of father that's always like you don't know how bad i had it when i was a kid like i'm not i don't want to be i don't want to be that guy but at the same time my son better be appreciative like dude we live in good times it hasn't always been like this and it's not always going to be like this like so i want there to be that balance i want them to be able to i do want them to be able to make choices and help okay what do you feel like oh you know vegan tacos sound great okay son we'll do that tonight uh that sounds good too to me um but there is an extent where like that spoiledness comes into play or that self-right you know selfishness like uh me me i don't want this when someone did something for you like man so anyway it's it's the right word gratitude yeah you got to be grateful for the the things people do for you or else you know what when it ends you're gonna really really miss it that's for sure so. Yeah. And kids don't understand, like they, they don't understand that argument. Like oh, I had it bad or, you know, you, you can't, if you use the argument, oh, there's, there's kids literally on the street. And the last place I lived in Colombia, there really, there literally was uh, homeless people out on the street all the time in front of my apartment building. They don't get that because they can't relate to it. And it's not that problem. Um, and Neil can't get that? No. Like, they, they, they can't. They, they can't. You can't get that in front of him. See, it's right in front of him. You can see it. They don't have the capacity. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. They don't have the ethical capacity to understand that that's, they can feel a little bit of um, pain and sorrow for that kid. But as soon as that, that person is out of his sight, he's that, that, that kid doesn't exist anymore. And he doesn't I understand tell my that. son. I tell my son all the time, there are kids in Africa that are eating dirt, you know, and they're drinking muddy water and all that kind of stuff. I expect him. Yeah. Keep I don't. Sorry. I, I, I assume he doesn't really get it, but I assumed that um, if he, if you could see it across the street, it'd be a different different story, you know. No, no. no. This is a kid, you know, like, and kids kids are 
at that age, I believe, are biologically wired to be really selfish. They're all about their own survival. You know, their brains are wired. Yeah. To, you know, like they just mm. they, they 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 don't have the the, the cognitive capacity to be able to, to think be. about the collective yet because they're not there. They're not. They haven't developed themselves enough yet. But like, yeah, be, you know, that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. That mm. I'm saying that like. If you tell your kids, there's, you tell your children there's kids in Africa and you show them homeless kids, they're definitely, the light bulb is kind of like, it's, it's getting a little bit of electricity into the light bulb, to use that metaphor, right? It's, you're, it's, you're educating them and you're, you're building that awareness. Um, but it's, it's, it's not enough where like later on it will click and it's mm. making them a little bit aware, but it's, it's not, the, the light bulb isn't turned on where they're like, oh, I see what's happening out there. Oh, thank you, mom, for this great caldo. No, they're like, yeah, that kid's kids have, that kid's gone. Like it's, it's it's out of his vision and he's out of out of mind. Yeah, yeah, they have kids have tunnel vision, you know, like at this age until they get into their adolescence, I believe, or early uh, early adolescence, which starts around thirteen ish. But um, but yeah, like they see it and they know something is wrong. There's something not right. I don't want to be like that. That doesn't look like my life. But the moment they look away, and there might even be a little bit of sympathy in a, a brief moment, like a stray cat or a homeless dog or whatever, there might be some sympathy and emotion, but they have tunnel vision. Like they are the center of their own universes um, until they start, like Steven said, thinking about understanding the collective. Like, okay, mm. like everything I have in front of me was made by someone else who probably mm. made less money than me. Um, you know, everything went through multiple people's hands. Who are those people? How did, how did they prepare this microphone for me? Like what, what factory, what sweatshop, you know, like, uh, so but that, that, that doesn't come till way later in life, you know, like even in our early adolescence, like, I think mm. we're still kind of ignorant. In fact, that becomes a very, very self-centered time is your adolescence, mm. but that that's the importance of like, um, teaching during that time right because if you never address these the collective and um uh responsibility and choice decision making choices uh during this time it's so mm. much harder to gain later in life um so this is why you have like the rites of passages not to like go a full loop back to religion but you have a rite of passage and like uh you know i think it's 15 uh in in latin american countries uh, it's like 14, I think in Catholic, um, and then it's 13 in the Jewish, um, you know, bar mitzvah, but all these is like, you are now responsible. You're an adult, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. considered responsible for their own actions at these ages. You're now responsible. Right. And so like, I don't know, cause that's adolescence. That's when you start teaching them about the choices they make affect them. I'm not going to dig you out of this one. Right. Yes. So I want to argue um, this same situation last week with the, the Jesus situation with the, the, the neighbor's kids. And um, all of a sudden I heard um, the, the little boy screaming at Mickey going, I want that car. I want that car. And then Mickey's like, no, it's my car. I'm playing with this car. And this has been a thing that's been going on for a while because, you know, Mickey would go over to their house and the exact same thing would happen. Mickey would want to play with one of the toys, but um their kid would say, no, it's my toy. And I'd say, that's so stupid, stupid because, you know, that kid gets to play with that toy. It's that kid's toy. The kids get, kid gets to play with that toy all the time. The mom should step in and say, let Mickey play with that toy. So I, I stu stood in and I said, Mickey, this is your toy. You let Kiri play with this toy now because when Kiri gets to go home, you can play with it forever. You know, you be the, he, he's the guest. 
You be the responsible little boy. You be the, the grown man. You be the smarter little boy. And you let Kiri play with those toys, won't you? And um, he, he did it. He eventually did it. So I gave him a great big hug. And I said, I love you, Mickey. You're very clever. You're very smart. And I'm, I'm very proud of you. And, you know, he, he, he did what he, he stepped up to the plate. So I would argue that a, a five-year-old kid, even an eight-year-old kid, would, would eat a full plate of food in, in, a, in a famine and let and, and not offer their, their mother a scrap of it. <laughs> I taught I taught Mickey to give that kid that 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 toy. Yeah, and I think that's that's what yeah. I'm saying, right? Is that kids at that age they're not aware, right? They're biologically they're programmed to look after themselves and survive, mm-hmm. right? We, I think you they, can train them though, right? But obviously, teaching them you're building that awareness and you're teaching mm. them to share it and what that means. Mm. And there's other people want to be respect other people's emotions and feelings and and situations. And that's what's being a great parent is that you're mm. giving again giving them that the, that that ethical compass right you're teaching them to be respectful yeah um but i think as a child if you don't teach a kid that that kid will never Mm. know until Mm. until they get later they'll never think about anyone else because it's the same reason why kids think their parents are like gods you know i think that's a biological evolution that they look up to their parents and they go these people determine whether i live or die right I need to trust these people and they must have all the answers because they've brought me into this, into this sacred planet and that they are my caregivers. And they are, you know, like that's, there's, there's they make wishes come true. I pray. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they, you wish and something's granted, you know, they, they tell you where to eat, sleep, everything else. Right. It's mm. there's, there's, a, there's so much biology, biology happening in, in those first, I think in the, in those first, you know, up to, I think it's about 10 years. I've got um, Piaget's theory in front of me. The, the, I heard eight, the, but yeah, the, mm. the, when, until they get to the formal operational stage, ages 12 and up where they can, at this stage, the adolescent or young adult begins to think abstractly and reason about hypothetical situations, problems. They develop abstract thought uh, teens begin to think more about moral, philosophical, ethical, social, and political issues that require theoretical and abstract reasoning. And lastly, begin to use deductive logic or reasoning from a general principle to, to specific information. So his theory is, Piaget's um, okay. theory is, is that they can't, they're not capable of even thinking about ethical issues until they, they form that um, cognitive development. And that's not even touching like, the, the the neuroscience of like prefrontal cortex like most young people um risk reward danger pleasure all of that stuff in the, in the front of the brain That's, that takes a long time to develop especially in young males um, is his first name who piaget i think it's jean or john jean jean yeah jean. g yeah j-e-a-n but yeah you know like even before I read Piaget, uh, I, I was aware of that, like, right, like this, this, and it's probably comes from the scriptural text that I read, but I have been educated in that now. And it just affirms what I've, what I've learned in the past is that there's other groups of thinkers that agree with this. So like this, uh, I mentioned the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah is for the women. And that's 12 years old is when women start to hit puberty. This is the beginning of adolescence because they're usually one year before, right? Or two, one year. So it's like, it's adolescence. Just like I said, that's when they start to really, well, 
question themselves, to question their surroundings, and to understand that where they fit within this collective, like life, this experience, you know, and uh, this is why I think it's really important to get on them. Like for my students, that they're thirteen to fifteen, right? My students are, and so like this is a very important time time in their lives you know this is where they're becoming it's the beginning of adulthood of like societal inclusiveness right like it's and responsibility and stuff like this so there's like two main periods of massive brain uh development and change like significant and that is adolescence is obviously one of them and then there's the 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 six months to one and a half, two years old. Um, and they, they're learning different things at this time. But the abstract, like Stephen mentioned, this is like where, you know, it goes back to those stories, right? The stories I was talking about, like figurative, abstract, like to be able to see a broader picture through um, our thoughts and stuff like this. So I guess, I guess just to be able to think beyond ourselves, right? And but to really those, those formative years are so important, but for me, their, their guidance and exploration, discovery, uh, learning, growing, making errors, um, you know, reflection, uh, and, and there needs to be a, lots of liberty and, and expression there because it's, it kids, kids are forming their own identity and part of that is, is rebelling against authority figures and, and moving away from the identity of their parents. Um, which brings me up to a question because this is something I've thought a lot about for young people. Now, your, your son both of you guys have children from two different cultures. Now, what culture do you want them to identify with them the most? Or do you think they can find the, the balance of um, balancing both cultures from uh, both parents? Well, like, I'll, give an example. I'll give an example for that. Sorry, John, like I was brought up as Australian, but my parents obviously um, European Maltese. I definitely identify being more with being Australian than being European. Um, you know, but for a long time, you know, I, I was definitely confused and I didn't know how to incorporate that part of who I was in my current identity. Now, you know, I, I have a feeling that one culture has to, to dominate. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm feeling. Peers will shape you. Yes, yeah. the, the current yeah. theory anyway. What, what did you say? Sorry, who will shape you? Your, your, your peers. Yeah, your environment. Mm. Mm. But like, there's this great text that I read. It was called American kids of, kids of your age. Yeah. 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 Because it's a peer group, right? Mm. And, mm. and that's what I was going to say. There's a great text that I read. It's a graphic novel called American Born Chinese. And his parents are the Chinese. He's born in the United States. And he, he ends up hanging out with... Um, he ends up... There's, there's an accident here. He ends up hanging out with um, other Chinese kids at school and he, he becomes very resentful because he doesn't want to be uh, associated with his Chinese heritage. He wants to be associated with the American culture and heritage. Um, but by doing it, he kind of feels like he's, he's um, compromising. Yeah, so even within that, imagine going to school as a 15-year-old teenager, but then just blending in part of that ethnicity you know like that you know you're Maltese Australian you just go and hang out with the Maltese kids or you know you're American um you're American Chinese and you're hanging out with the Chinese kids I don't know I think that your son both of you guys will have a definitely an internal conflict and they'll be like I don't know who I am am I Chinese am I Thai am I American am I Australian how do I deal with that shit 
and it's it's very confusing. Mm, I think and that's I think where uh, I think that like like religious groups such as <laughs> the uh, Jews don't have a problem because they know what they are. They are beyond the title of a country or a region in the world. And this empowers them big time because they, they know that they're only one thing, and that is children of God. Now, I'm not saying we have to believe that, but this is where the rock, right? The rock, the foundation. Uh, so when the world shakes and kings die and countries, pol you know, political parties dissolve, do you really want to have all your children invested in a nation? I mean, I don't. I'm not going to say, you're American, greatest country in the world. No, mm -hmm. no, I'm not. I'm going to say, just like I believe you guys, again, this is my perspective, and I'm, an, you know, so I don't need you to agree with me, but we're all children of God. We are all this, we are all life. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all in this shit together. And when the fucking game's over, all the pawn and the king go back in the same box. Um, I want my son to be beyond this concept of identifying with a nation or a nationality. Like, I just think that's a weakness in some ways, but is it avoidable? Probably not. So Stephen, back to your question to get more, to give you an answer. Um, you know, I'm biased. I'm American, buddy. Like, <laughs> and Thai people are Thai and they're very racist and not in like a really bad way, but Thai's Thai and everybody else is everybody else. Whereas American, Australian, and to some extent, some of the European countries um, are very inclusive, right? Like you, you would, when you, when I say American food, I, I'm going to include Italian, Indian, Thai, uh, Mexican, right? Into our cuisine. Um, and I'm also going to embrace multiple religions. And I'm also going to embrace uh, all ethnicities, right? Because that's how we've been taught. Uh, whereas in, I don't want to criticize or, or demean Thai culture in any way, but they're just behind the times. It's, it's, fair, it's, it's divided within itself, but it's pretty homogenized for the most part, right? Like even in like uh, Col Colombia, they know that they have some white blood, a lot of them, that they know they're descendants of Europe, but they also embrace their indigenous side too with that lovely long black hair that I miss so much. God, that place drew me crazy. But anyways, back to my point, being biased, you know, that I think that I guess I'd want him associate more with the Western, like not philosophy, but Western identity, um, I guess American, I guess. But that's selfish, right? He lives in Thailand. So to do that to him would put him in an awkward situation, wouldn't it? I mean, well, it definitely could because then we could make him an outsider. You know, like I, I work with a, a Colombian. Um, he he he's he grew up very Americanized. His stepfather was uh, American, and his wife and his mom's Colombian, but they spoke a lot of English at home. And he ended up loving the English language. He ended up loving the American lifestyle, and he became very American. He speaks like a New Yorker. He, he's got an American accent. He's got a fantastic vocabulary. He's an he's an English teacher at one of the best schools in Latin America. Um, but he, he tells me that he's hated by a, a lot of the other Colombians. They hate the way that he interacts with, with foreigners and, and basically they feel like he's rejected his own uh, culture to be one of them. Um, and in a way he has, but I, but I think that's, you know, I don't know if you can be both. 
Now, my daughter is, she's like you guys, you know, like she's Colombian Australian. I don't think she's going to identify as an Australian. She's going to identify as, as long as we stay here with her mom, she's going to identify as Colombian for sure. Um, and she's going to be like Colombian with a gringo dad, right? But maybe if I took her to, you know, she had more exposure to Australia and more of my family, then maybe it would tip the scales and she would be attracted to that. Maybe if she spent more time in Europe, it would tip the scales in that direction. I've got family in Europe. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, I think even it's- thinking on the topic of just this in general, like Wanderlust, is that Wanderlust? Mm. You guys are in another country. You guys have actually traveled the world to be somewhere else. Don't you guys have a sense of that yourself? Well, that, that's you know? that's what I, yeah, and I think that's a great Absolutely. point. And I, I would I would explain that by saying like, what does it mean to be a global citizen? And then having you know transcending these boundaries of of, of nation. Um, I think it's really easy to prevent a lot of this stuff is just by you can have good conversations about it with your kids. Is like what is what is identity? Um, you can read these type of books with them, you know, and. and what is identity? What do you identify with? You know, what does it mean to be from somewhere else? Um, what does it mean to be American? You know, what is nationalism? Um, and then I think encouraging them to choose the aspects of the culture they naturally gravitate to and they like. If your son Mickey, he might love, he might fall in love with being Chinese. You know, and he might, mm. you know, as you go. He might want to take Chinese classes, study Chinese history. He might mm. want to go to China and live there. You know, you don't know, or he, he might he might want to do the exact opposite of that. He might go, well, I've got a back, Chinese background, but it doesn't really interest me because I'm in Australia. It's just really up to them. And I think, to be fair, just my, let them flourish. In my twenties, I wanted to be anywhere but Australia. Now I feel like I'd rather just stay here. You know, if I want to travel the world, I can just watch it on YouTube. Sure, but when you're young, so. you, those those drives to kind of explore and, and experiment. Are very strong and i think you know we all mm. have that and i think and i think it's a little bit different because when you're you know you we're talking about someone that's developing their identity as a, as a young person into an adult so do you need to you know he doesn't need to travel to to, to define his identity but he's definitely going to ask the question am i chinese or am i australian do i like the chinese culture or do i not yeah but having me as a father i'll be telling him exactly what he, what he is what is he an australian right and what because what are you telling about his chinese you, culture because you you're, you how i how i see it is you are the accent that you speak as i said i've i've gone to a customer's house before and i've knocked on their front door and this this chinese guy answered, answered the door and he's like g'day mate how you going i'm like jesus where, where are you from <laughs> Like six, lot, gen- yeah. six generation Aussie, mate. I'm like, well, you're more Aussie than I am, you yeah. know. So, yeah, doesn't matter what you look like. But you, but you telling him that, heritage. like, you maybe let's just use the word guiding him because I know what I will reinforce that. it over yeah. and over again. I think, explain it to him. Yeah, I think you're guiding him, right? It's like you're not an mm. autocratic person. So mm. you guiding him, you know, is there is still he has to define for himself how he feels and fits within this makeup. And he's going to look at his biological figures. He's going to look at his mom. He's going to look yeah. at the language that he speaks at home with his mom. He's going but to. I look can at- say I'm one eighth Chinese myself. 
we all, if you look at DNA structure in any person, we all come from different parts of the planet. You right. Know? But it's, but it, this is what I'm saying, Alan. It's not, it's not about you. It's about him. Mm. He has to mm. have that internal journey. And you can say yeah, whatever you want, but he's mm. going to reject certain things and accept certain things. Mm. Like you can guide mm. him as much as you want, but ultimately it's up to him. Now, he may, like, he may decide to get us have a psychosis over it. He may not. Or that's what I'm saying. You call it, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. So he may, he may not. But I, think I don't that, think he will. I think that every young person will will think about it, how much they mm. process it and become aware of it. Like, mm. uh, like I think even adults will, you know, like so I have a personal experience that uh, you know, I grew up in Alaska. I'm a I come my last name's Italian, it's Funaro, <laughs> and my mother's Puerto Rican. So we were the browner people in the, in, no, I, on, the on the block. I consider you um, Russian. And uh, so, yeah, so like I always considered myself, my mother was Latino, single mother growing up. And so Puerto Rico was my culture. You know, there's a lot of Spanish in the house, um, uh, not a lot of Spanish in the house, but Spanish music, uh, you know, parties were very Latin. The food was very Latin until we got older. Uh, but when I went to Colombia, you know, so in Alaska, I associated as a Puerto Rican, as, a, as an Italian Puerto Rican, right? Alaskan. <laughs> and I was okay with that. Mm. And when I went to Colombia to teach, uh, I would say I'm Latino. And my students would be like, no, you're not, teacher. You're a gringo. And I was like, no, no, no. Well, listen, listen here. First of all, I go, I'm, my mother's Puerto Rican. And I'd say it in Spanish, you know, mi madre de Puerto Rico, mi padre, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I just can talk with them. And I'd say, I'm Latino. They said, no, you're not. And I go, native. And so I'd get, yeah, because I wasn't born. I was, mm. if you're, if you're born in Australia or in the United States, that's what the world deems you as, right? So it's not always mm. what we believe. It's what you're our raised peers, by the country. It's our peers believe too, the way they mm. label us, right? Um, which is quite interesting, you know? So like, no matter how much I wanted to say I was Latino, I knew to them, I was not. And mm. they are, and they definitely are, right? And mm. so I would say shit like, well, what when we say Latino, where does that word come from? They say Latin. I go, where where is Latin like formalized at? They're like, oh, I think Italy. I'm like, exactly. So I'm more Latino than you. So I'd like rebel, see, out of my own insecurity. And now I'm starting to question. Well, fuck, I thought I was a Latino. My my white friends accepted that in Alaska and in the U.S. People were accept that but in a country that is a latin country no you're a fucking gringo you don't you don't you don't act like a latino your your demeanor and your personality and your language but i would say that there's plenty of americans and australians that you know indian or or from whatever country you can think of um parents are immigrants born in that country they they learn english as a second language very protective over their culture uh, they're not Australian first. They're, they're Greek first, or they're Maltese first, and then they become assimilated into that. Yeah, country. and that's same with too. American. Yeah, yeah, African American, Asian American, Latino American, sure. Greek American, Russian American. Very different experience to what you had. Like I was definitely Australian first, you know, from my environment because that was much stronger than the family and the root and the cultures. But I don't think there's really a negative with that either. Like it's there's a lot of people want to a lot of people want to protect their culture because there's something beautiful about keeping that and then as long as you can integrate and respect the country that you're in but i don't see there's a problem with that because you've, you've been enriched by two different cultures but you know like Steve, your demeanor you know do you feel any did steve feel any bias in in australia having a maltese background uh what do you mean by bias like 
like would you feel accepted by the people around you or oh like against me in a way Mm -hmm. um like when i was at school not so much but then i kind of realized that i looked different and i kind of you know i would i would I realized I had a different background and then I kind mm. of realized that there was a, a separation there from maybe the traditional Aussie to the European Aussie. Mm. So that was like the first realization. And then I had kind a realization. Funny. Sorry. It's, it's funny for me because I, I'm the same as you, but like, I don't look different, but I look at you, but I don't see you as looking different. You know, I yeah. still, I accept you as you being you. And a lot so. of, a lot of Australians, that's how it was, right? Like a lot mm. of other kids, they would never like Australian kids were like, ah, oh, you look funny. You look like a wog. You know, like mm. you look like a European, you know, you go back to Malta. It's like, you know, mm. like I, that didn't, so you really, did get that. That didn't, I didn't really experience lots of racism like that. No, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, my parents growing up, growing up in a, in a, in a Maltese type of house and that mentality, and then looking at the difference of like what my Australian friends were doing and what they were thinking and what my Maltese family was doing and thinking, and mm-hmm. that definitely created a lot of conflict. So, um, mm. I think, yeah, like I, I definitely, I definitely had to, um, to figure it out or just, just sort of synthesize some ideas and, and had to think about what things I wanted to embrace that were European and what things I wanted to embrace that were Australian and how can I blend those two nicely and, and become, you know, a functional, you know, reasonable citizen. So, mm-hmm. and we've spoken a lot of times before about, you know, expectations of, european cultures and communities and immigrants in australia and how they behave very Mm. very different to traditional australian families but you know that's that's a story for another time but Mm -hmm. yeah you know um and i think biological features is a big one too like if you look in the mirror and you like you look a certain way but you sound a little bit different to what you think you would should sound like or how people would think that you sound mm. that that takes a little bit of time i think to process and understand that you know as i said that, that that chinese guy blew me away he was the first guy that he would have been 70 or something and he's like g'day mate and it's like it just that was a paradigm shift in my mind to sort of realize he was more australian than i was being sixth generation aussie sort of looking full Chinese. So I felt chronically racist as I was dealing with those emotions or whatever. So, yeah. Cause we make a whole bunch of assumptions learning know, based, over there. Yeah. Based on those biological features. Um, mm. That's a really great book, man. American born Chinese is a, a really good one. Uh, talking about identity. I've got it here in front of me, actually like identity. Uh, it's, it's actually a comic book as well. It's a graphic novel. Identity, mm. a simulation and, and kind of, you know, the need to belong and be accepted within society and, and how cultures clash. And I definitely mm. think that's something that's very relevant for the three of us, you know, mm. in, in this situation, because we're all coming from, we've all got basically multicultural families, which is, which is something that's, which is something that's really cool. Um, and it's something that's, I was just saying, John, that we've all got multicultural families. We all have spouses from a different part of the world. Um, with two of us are living in different countries we're basically expats um and i think that's that's something that we all have in common and it's it's i think it's going to be an issue um not an issue that we all have to face and something really dramatic but i think it's something that be worth exploring and and those and you know our kids will definitely um spend a bit of time thinking about 
Yeah, I, I think that would be a great topic, actually, for, you know, a, a full length discussion about, well, you know, like, let's, we can say as abstract as globalism, right? And like this exchange of cultures and multiculturalism and how it's changing us and how it is actually affecting our identities. How do we see ourselves? And why is it so complicated sometimes to like associate, right? Um, so I think that's very important, like, like back to what we were talking about earlier is like, how are, will our kids identify? Now, um, we could say, I want him to be American. Uh, uh, maybe Al wants him to be Australian, but he's going to like that book you're talking about, American-born Chinese. He's going to look different than the average uh, Australian. I shouldn't say the average because there's a lot of immigration there, but he is going to look, he is going to know that he's not part of that colonization that came from England, right? He's not the white people. He's he's something different. And uh, my son will feel the same, especially if we move to the United States, right? The U.S. is super multicultural, but um, a lot of the cities still, you know, we're divided through these stories. These stories divide us, right? And and yet we we keep pushing for globalism, but it's creating more problems um, for self-identity, you know, and inclusion, and inclusion, really, you know, like we're struggling with being a, being a part of our own nation at times, you know, and it's particularly true for like, uh, you know, I would say Asian Americans and Latin Americans, um, where I grew up, uh, that's not so much true. It was pretty heavily white, I would say like 70%. But we were, but it was a really nice community and we we're really lucky. But even as kids, even as kids, um, my buddy Carlos Boozer, he's a professional basketball player. Not anymore. He played for, well, the Lakers, the uh, New, New York, uh, the Jazz, um, Utah Jazz. Is that what it was? Anyways, he's an amazing basketball player, successful. But I remember we were we were kids, right? And we were playing, we lived in low income housing. Uh, we were playing outside me and Carlos and some of the skater guys who are all my friends now, you know, like, uh, were a bunch of native Americans or Alaskans basically came up and they're like, get the nigger, get the nigger, you know? And like, and they like bullied him. And I was a little bitch. So I'll be honest. I ran, I was scared. These kids were two years older than me. And when you're seven years old, that's huge, dude. Like it's huge. And to this day, I wish I would have stood my ground. And actually, that a situation like that never, ever happened again in my life because I was kind of traumatized by it because his parents, he was like one of my best friends, Carlos. And from that day forward, his parents didn't want him to associate with me. I didn't do anything. I just didn't stand my ground. Mm. Uh, so even in the United States, even in a really loving community like mine, which was quite diverse, you, you still have this these separations, right? These divisions. Mm. And, and, you know, like uh, these are Alaskan natives, right, <laughs> that, that have had seen racism and uh, mm. colonization and they were still just as brutal as anybody else. Um, and, you know, so that's that's all I'm saying is that they're going to be looked at. Right. Like, I feel it's really unfortunate, but humans tend to look at our differences first. Yeah, that's that's a survival mechanism of, of identifying the other and identifying threats. Right. But. It's interesting even to hear my um, U9 Colombian students talk about when they travel to the United States, how people look at them, you know, how they judge them about their English, um, what preconceptions they have about who they are, and, um, you know, their social status and, and the, the state of Colombia. Uh, and a lot of the kids wrote, you know, we, we did a lot of theme, thematic work 
one of the kids wrote really interesting personal anecdotes about uh, how they felt about their own identity and how they were treated or um, things that they wanted to, they were ashamed of. And a lot of the time was young women talking about, you know, their biological features, having curly fuzzy hair they didn't like, or a bigger nose or whatever it was, or brown skin. Um, it's then when you're an adolescent, you know, identity and, and fitting in and finding a, like, a sense of belonging mm. is a big deal. Uh, and like the yeah. Asians and the, the, the uh, skin whitening creams. Yeah. And that's like, I remember being in like Thailand, insane. all the people on the, on, on television, like John will talk about this more than I will, you know, all the, all the people, famous people, they're all white with huge eyes. And mm. I'm like, that's not really what people look like when you walk down the street. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think you brought a really, you brought up a really good topic, John, in the sense of raising children and maybe trying to figure out, or maybe having that foresight to kind of think about when these issues come up or, you know, how do I deal with this now? And how can I make sure that I kind of put a bit of thought into this? So when these issues arise, I could tackle them with a little bit of depth instead of just reacting emotionally and go, okay, well, how do I handle this? And, you know, what, what is my thinking in the processes so I can be a better example and, and, and think about what's best, not for me, but what's actually best for my, for my kid. For me, it feels yeah. like it's, it's a bit of a mute point because in Australia, as you said, we are so multicultural that <clears throat> I, I was speaking to an indigenous person the other day, like we're best friends. Like I just bumped into him on the street and we're just, chatting like you know we've known each other forever so it doesn't feel like there's such a divide there there is of course there is but it's a bit, a bit different to where you guys are from i guess but, and it, like you know i guess as an adult we we operate from different grounds did you have a mm. chat to him about like his his childhood and his um his adolescence and kind of some of that conflict and stuff or mm. did you get into no, any no, that? No, I just talked about his career and like he was a dancer, a performer, and I was just sort of, you know, put, putting my, myself on his level and sort of saying, you know, I'm a tradie, sort of I put my back out doing this. You, you obviously must injure yourself doing what you do. How do you sort of cope with that? How'd you deal with COVID and all just basic conversation, you know? Sure. Yeah, and that's so, like that's like the you know, the the good surface conversation which we need. Mm. But I think a lot of us need deeper conversation. I think that mm. we need to be able to understand ourselves, others. Mm. Uh, I think mm. we need to open up into much deeper conversation. So I don't think that nice. like we would know from your friend that you ran into his mm. actual real experiences, right? Mm. We wouldn't mm. know that because that's not that's not just coffee talk, dude. That's mm. something that's like mm. really personal and really deep for every individual, you know, like. Uh, so no, I hear you. Like, it seems like everyone's all good all the time, right? Like if you can just have a normal conversation, but I think it's what's under the surface that we're missing. You know, it's like the iceberg thing, right? Like, yeah, you, know, you can see what stands up top. You, it's pretty obvious. It's right there, but what's underneath, like what's going down. And, you know, this is like that situation where you have people that, oh, I thought they were happy and like, pe like suicide people. Okay. People that mm. commit suicide, like people don't even see it coming half the time. And that's because that's because they just kept everything in. And uh, so 
you know, I think those divisions are actually run pretty deep. Now, whether we talk about them or not is a different story. But I, I agree with you, Stephen. Like, it's that's why I wanted to have this topic was to think about like, are the choices I'm making? How are they going to affect my son? I want what's best for him, but do I actually know what's best for yeah. him? Well, that's a whole different story, right? I, I know from my one person, one out of seven, eight billion people, I know what I believe, but that's not going to be him. He's not going to be me. He might be influenced and shaped a little bit by me, but he's going to find his own way. And how do I prepare? How do we prepare our children for this journey? Because we all know life can be complicated, right? I mean, there's a lot to this. It's not just diet. It's not just exercise. And, uh, you know, it's not even just like identity. What race well, are you? What nation are you? Now, it's like, it goes on and on. But now the real value with children is, is, the physical stuff is important, but it's it's really like emotional awareness is probably the most valuable thing. Emotional awareness, um, awareness in general, and um, and knowledge, you know, because you can't teach you can't really teach wisdom, but you can sort of teach knowledge, you know. So if a kid is emotionally aware of how they feel, how other people feel, like the social intelligence, you can't really give a kid a, a greater gift than that because they can flourish. And, it, you know, you guys are in a bit of a different situation to me because you, you, you guys have both have boys and I've got a daughter, you know, um, young boys, they idolize their fathers and they're going to want to worship you guys and they want to um, embody a lot of your characteristics. So with that comes a lot of great responsibility that, you know, how do I sort of manage that situation that I can respect my wife's culture um, my, the, the, our, like, our kind of overall identity, you know, what do I expect from them and how am I going to make my kid feel if they don't want exactly what I want them to want? So that's a real tough line there because I, I think it, it's, it's a fine line because, or it's precarious because, um, when we set up expectations for children, it's very easily, it's, it's, it's very easy for them to, if they fall short, they can feel very, they can feel insecure or inadequate very easily. So maybe that's something to think about. Mm. Yep. Just a thought, just a thought, but you know, but I, I, I think, I really think that's true. Um, that last thing you said, like most of my friends are always self-deprecating. Oh, I didn't live up to my parents' standards and all this kind of crap. <laughs> I'm just like, you fucking shut up. <laughs> you know live yeah. your own life they're happy that you're happy you know who cares you know yeah and that's that's what i mean like even as an as a grown-ass man still holding on to that garbage right mm. because it's 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 innate man um you know I'm lucky i never had it so i'm lucky well you know maybe your main lens of looking through the world john is is stories and religion maybe that's that's one of the dominant lenses and i I can respect that. And I think we all have different lenses to look at the world. My wife is, she's a psychologist. So she looks at everything through psychology and science. You understand the brain. I love the biology because I feel like everything is for me. I feel like that's the dominating lens that, that governs our behaviors. Um, and I look at, I look at us as humans and I feel like this, these connections that we have between my father and son you know, it's, it's so biological. Like you literally made that child. Like, think about that. Oh, yeah. 
It's you know. Oh yeah, he, and he he walk he walks like me, like my my wife and even some of her relatives and uh, some of our neighbors. They call him my copy because because <laughs> our face our facial expressions, the way he walks. You know, he walks Same. like me. It's really, really weird. Of your and are, are dude, what's there. even weirder is the way he sleeps. He sleeps like me. You know, he moves a lot in his sleep. He, and he always likes to embrace a pillow. Like, it's just, it's just weird. It's like, <laughs> I, it, it's, to... I, I don't even see it as much, but my wife sees it. She's like, he's your copy. He's your number two. I, I hate to um, limit the the analogy or limit limit the observation as to you know you've created him or whatever the carbon copy and and think of the the branch or the tree which has you know gone back throughout primordial history and your genetic you know tree which has gone back through thousands of generations you know into the past into the future yeah so we're, we've all we're all like a copy Tem of someone else i think temporal that our children are like have 50%. I, I have Not that. even one. It's a constant stream of t temporal, you know, genetic right. yeah, material. Change. Yeah. I had that thing when I think about last names, because my, someone from my family said, Oh, you know, you're, you know, the, the Guar name is going to die with you basically, Stephen. And, and I thought about that. And I'm like, right. Yeah. Well, the name doesn't <laughs> mean like if the name carries on from the, the man or the boy, you know, mm. not the girl, like, but really, End you know, of the world. The genes, might be written down somewhere. It's kind of silly, right? You know, it, it's 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 might be like a, it's like a project. It's, it's GTAC. What's GTAC? It? It's the you know DNA code. Oh, okay, I don't know. What that It'll is. be written down somewhere. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, it's it, it's kind of. I think it's a it's a pride thing. We want we want our last names and we want to live forever and we want to extend ourselves. But really, like again, from a biological point, it's just. Genes are getting spread. We're all biology. It's biology. It's, but, my son's um, got my wife's last name, so I didn't care. He's, he's Mickey, Michael Wan, and she called up the doctor the other day and said, oh, I have an appointment for Michael Wan. And he goes, no, I'm Michael Four. I'm four years old. Michael <laughs> Wan. <laughs> well, in Colombia, it's really cool because whenever you have a children, whenever you have a kid, a child, is that they adopt both names, both last names. They, they adopt the last names of the, the, the father and the, the, the mother. And then when that person, yeah, gets married, then they drop, usually they drop the maiden name of the, of the mother. But like, like the patronym kind of built into the name of the, of the surname or? So for example, my, my daughter's called Sofia de Guara Rache. And okay. yeah, so de Guara is mine. And, Rache is hers. Um, so I, I like that. I think, I think that's cool, like honoring both. But, you know, there's a lot of biology that's happening, but, mm. but it doesn't mean to diminish and dismiss any of this, the social conditioning and the environment, which, is, which I think eventually becomes more powerful in the long term because the biology is there and we're all reacting to that. It's the another factor. And the environment and the... Our, our social expectations and the gender roles and all of that you know sociological stuff that mm. becomes more dominant over time and our behaviors are based on that it's not based on you um, can't have you know, without the other. sex drive and we're going to run around the road like uh, acting like animals you know like mm. no mm. you know it's it's biology is there but then it's, it's 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 even more important to program your kids the right way because you know they, they need to 
they need to become develop that conditioning to be mm. you know good functioning uh, respectable citizens of society and develop a strong identity and cultural compass. conventions mm. yeah the ethics of the society mm. 